you're listening to Otaku Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo. Today's episode is our spring 2022 anime season first impressions part two. So we have a ton more titles to go through. Actually, more than the previous episode, so probably a little bit longer than the last one. But we have Birdie Wing, Aoashi, uh, Mahjong Soul, Heroines Run the Show, Onipon, A Couple of Cuckoos, Cuckoos, sorry. Sorry, Chris. Sorry. Shikimori is not just a cutie. The Dawn of the Witch. Love After World Domination, Ya Boy Kong Ming, uh, Healer Girl, Tomodachi Game, In the Heart of Konoichi Sabaki, Day Aimon, Summertime Rendering, The Demon Girl Next Door Season 2, The Rise and Shield Hero Season 2, Science Fell in Love So I Try to Prove It Season 2, and Kaginato Season 2. It's a lot of shows, Chris. Yep. <laughs> well, we'll see. I know some of these are probably going to take quite a bit to talk about, but... Well, l- last week, uh, as we were going through it, it was like, man, it, there's so much here that we're, we're, we're going to talk about. Next week's got nothing. And then and then when I looked at the list, it was like, nope, that one's just as crazy as the, the other episodes. So, yeah. Yeah, there was a, quite a few of them in this one that were kind of left to the wayside for a bit because I kind of assumed that they weren't going to be that great, but then they actually turned out to be really good. So <laughs> it's kind of surprising. And I always love that. I always love... Having those titles that nobody's talking about, and you're like, yeah, it's probably going to be... And the, Oh, wait, it's actually good. Uh, Chris was pretty excited about Birdie Wing. Yes, I was. <laughs> we'll get to that. As usual, we're at talkyspirit.com. That's where you can go for all of our information, our social media links, ways that you can support us. We definitely appreciate everybody that does support us. Uh, links to our YouTube channel where you can subscribe over there and support us there as well. Uh, definitely a lot of places you can check us out. But yeah, we should jump right into it, because again, we have a lot of stuff to go through. Let's start off with Birdie Wing, Golf Girl's Story. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll, done by studio uh, Bandai Namco Pictures. It's an original. Uh, the genres are sports. And uh, this one essentially follows Eve. Well, it starts off following Eve. <laughs> and Eve essentially is a a woman for hire. If, there, if somebody needs something done, she pretty much does it. It's mostly revolving around golfing. So if there's somebody wants to place bets on property or something like that, they bring in Eve and they pay her to essentially do a bet or something like that. And at some point, while she's doing one of these bets for this uh, rich guy, he wanted to test out his daughter before she went off to some tournament. Uh, this She gets the interest of a Japanese player named Aoi. And Aoi quickly runs up there and says, let's play a match. But she doesn't have enough time, so they only play one hole. And after this whole hole happens, they kind of come to an agreement between the two of them that they really badly want to play a full game together. Because it's the first time that somebody's ever really challenged Eve at the same time. Eve has a very unique way of playing that catches the interest of Aoi. So it kind of continues on from here as Aoi goes off to a tournament. And then Eve kind of makes some underground deals in order to get into that tournament. And it goes forward and they eventually, hopefully, will play their match. It doesn't seem like they're ever going to play their match together. <laughs> I think that's going to be the shtick the entire season is just trying to get this match. So the unique thing about Eve, like I said before, she's a woman for hire, and she does a lot of gambling and stuff with her golfing, but she's not actually good at golf. Uh, there's many people that will you know, point out the fact that she's not good at golf. She's just somebody that just uses brute strength. She just goes in headlong, takes huge risks that usually throw off the competition that she's playing against, and it's all kind of around her super shots. She has like three clubs that she always uses, and each shot has like some super shot to it. Uh, I, I kind of thought of like Pena, where it has like yeah. the, the blue string behind it. What is it? The blue comet bullet or something like that? Blue bullet, yeah. Yeah. And Aoi's special in the idea that she's super positive. She doesn't let any stress get to her. She always has a smile on her face. And that often, again, gets infects into her competition and including Eve herself, who's somebody that's more serious, 
very prone to the idea that she just wants to make money so that she can support a bunch of orphans. But in the case of playing Aoi, Aoi's super positive nature eventually infects her. You kind of see that Eve starts to smile more. I, I, I kind of took note of that. She's like, wow, she's actually smiling a lot now. Um, so, yeah, it's just the like a rivalry between the two of them as they go along. So, yeah, you're you're and it, and it kind of has an undertone of this. Obviously, this deal that she had to make in order to get into this tournament. There's a lot of shady people working in the background. They're fixing the games to benefit them in a way. Like one point, somebody uses a laser pointer to throw off Owie so that she doesn't beat Eve. That way that they can kind of keep competing. So shady folks are involved. There's a um, there's a level of this that when we when we first seen the um, the PV for this show, it, it, it was one of those that I kind of just wrote it off. I, I, I was vaguely interested, but more on the aspect of it, it was this kind of cool idea between because I kind of thought they were going to do kind of a pairing uh, between Eve and Owie, which which would be basically Eve being, you know, eventually the, they're going to compete. Together. They, they probably will. I, that, that's a, that's a side note. But <laughs> um the, it, it, a pairing between the two of them as Eve being the, you know, basically the power uh, push uh, character and Aoi being this kind of finesse character in which that's literally what they are. I mean, like Andrew was mentioning the bullets uh, that Eve does, her her nickname being Rainbow Bullet um, and, and Aoi being uh, more of a very... Elegance. traditional e- elegant you know down to the finesse of a, an actual shot she one of her first shots that she does for eve is this kind of really uh intense kind of slice that that just uh landed in the perfect spot to get these and this is kind of one of the really fun things about this show is it's it's really uh has that that shown a lot of those shonen vibes if you've uh watched kind of some of the shonen scorching um, ping pong girls is what came to my mind <laughs> well i was thinking kuroka basket where yeah. where they uh, are, are literally like putting off. the fire the the balls on fire and stuff yeah it starts off making sense and then over time it's like yep we're getting slowly more and more <laughs> over the top. We're we're doing sidewinders. We're we're shooting through branches. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I I really love that 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 aspect of it. It, it starts out you know not as as crazy, but it, as it goes on, it, it gets a little bit more and more extreme. And and of course they've got to top themselves over and over again. So it is kind of one of those fun things about it. Um, I I love the the kind of underdog dog nature of Eve. While while she is still. A uh, very powerful player, uh, pun kind of intended, I guess. Um, she is also the down on her luck, like Andrew was saying. She'll do anything for money, and that she says that at some point. Um, so they they play off of that that she does have this real big drive. The the I literally I I I seen some folks talking about the this show on the, on the Discord, and I was like. I'll give it a shot um, because I, I I wasn't sure if I was going to like it. I, I kind of kept skipping over it, figuring, okay, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then, then eventually, you know, four weeks in, I'm like, no, they're, they're talking about it. Somebody's really excited about it. So I probably better look at it. And when I, when I watched that first episode, I kid you not, I just got sucked into this. I really, really wanted to see where they went with this. And then when the fourth episode comes around and we're actually talking about literal underground tournaments, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is just absurd. I love it. Um, I'm super excited about it. And I, I really do want to keep watching what this does later. I was going to say that jump the shark, but I think they pretty much did that like 
I guess you could say her shooting a golf ball between a between fast the train. <laughs> train. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure, I guess. That's a pretty well timed there, but... No, it, yeah, definitely shown in golf is really the way of selling it. It, it. If you like, my whole thing is like, I don't really like golf. I, I mean, I enjoy playing golf, but I don't enjoy watching it at all. I, I just, I just, it's not a sport for me. And so to get something that kind of mixes in a little bit of fun stuff just to make it over the top and more entertaining is definitely where I'm more, you know, gravitated towards. I do enjoy Eve and Aoi. I think they're, you know, great quote unquote main characters. I'm not sure if they really. They're bouncing back and forth to Aoi every now and then, but it's Aoi's very, very side story right now. She's not really a main focus for the most. I mean, we're not spending half the episode on Aoi. We're maybe spending a quarter at most. So I'm curious at what point they're going to start bringing her to be more predominant to the story, because a lot of it, the focus seems to be around Eve and her doing these deals in the background, these underground uh, golf games, <laughs> literally <laughs> betting casinos on a golf game, which why not if you're super rich and you want to go ahead and just create a squid game underground where you can manipulate the the ground to be a randomized course. Um, and then characters uh, apparently emitting the scent of poison to throw people off it. It's getting crazier and crazier as the epi- episodes go on. I, I agree the idea of it's, they're going to have to one up themselves over and over again. But um, I think the thing that is actually, Probably for me, that's going to actually be besides just over the top golfing is going to be the underground story, the uh, the back deals. What did Rose agree to in order to allow them to get into the game? Was it the underground game? Was it something else? It's obviously there's something that she previously agreed on that she uh, or previously you know didn't want to do that she's now doing in order to get Eve in there, and so. Yeah, what is that going to turn into being later on that, that they're going to reveal it's probably going to put Eve in danger, put Aoi after her? I'm, my assumption is the one time we're going to see Aoi break character is going to be the moment that Eve's in danger or something. But it, it it definitely has put its claws in me just a little bit. I won't say that it's totally amazing at this point. It's just it's it's fun. It's a fun golf game or yeah. golf game, golf show that has is doing some pretty unique st- stuff on top of just being bombastic golfing like i said just having some undertones of some darker stuff that yeah it's probably not gonna get too dark i don't see it getting too dark but it does have some undertones in there that it could get serious at some point and really throw the characters into a loop so i I say if you do enjoy golf and you're okay with things doing crazy stuff because i know if you're really into golf you're probably like you can't do that (laughs) yes we all know you can't hit a golf ball through a branch. It's just, it's just going to bounce right off unless that golf ball is made of, I don't know, just a pure solid metal. And she hit it like a bullet. I don't know, but uh, she does call it the blue bullet. I mean, yeah, obviously it's a bullet, Andrew. Yes. So you could obviously do that. I don't I don't know if the, (laughs) the golf ball will bounce the way it does if it's a bullet, but anyways, it's goofy. It's over the top. It's not doing anything insane, but at the same time, it's it's entertaining, definitely, for golf. It, we had this kind of come out with, like, two other Golf Girls shows, so it seems like golf right now, Golf Girls is a popular thing, so we'll see if we get more more shows in the future, but that's that's Birdie Wing. Definitely, definitely crazy there. We'll see where it goes. Oh, Ashi! This one is streaming on Crunchyroll, being done by Studio Production IG. The source is a manga. The genres are sports and drama. Series competition by Mas- Masahiro... Yoko Tani, who did ReZero, Rascal Does Not Dream, Bunny Girl Senpai, and Sakura Quest. And this one follows Ashito. And Ashito is 
he's kind of full of himself. <laughs> he, it seems like whenever he's on the field playing soccer, he is pretty much just hogging the ball. Uh, they, they, they kind of point out the idea that everybody else in his team at his current club, whenever he's actually, you know, the show starting is just pretty much feeding him the ball because they're not good players, but they know that he will basically lead them to, to the, you know, the championships. They even know this one point when he first introduced himself, he's like, I'm a forward. I will lead you guys to victory. Just get the ball to me. And so he does. He, he does a really good job of it. But unfortunately, as he kind of looks towards his future for future prospects, he ends up getting kind of, well, <laughs> to, to not get ahead of myself, at some point they had some, you know, some people that were scouting for him. And this guy that he knew previously kind of insults him and says, you know, look, your, your rest of your teams are useless. They're a bunch of monkeys that just feed you the ball. And he pretty much headbutts the dude. <laughs> and that pretty much, you know, soils any plans that he has to get into being, you know, brought into another team in the future. Well, one guy actually, you know, notes how Ashita plays is kind of unique. You know, they'll kind of describe it as like an eagle that he kind of feels out the field and knows the positions of everybody. All 22 players, he knows exactly where they're at. And that's kind of his unique ability is that he knows the entire field, where everybody's at and how to play out something in order to get to a victory. And this guy kind of noticed that. And so he tries to you know, feel him out, test him out, try him to, you know, see if he can do a couple moves and eventually, you know, says, hey, look, um, how did you pull off this thing at your game? And Nashito pretty much notes where every single person was at the entire game. And that, again, surprises him. And he goes, "Okay, well, look, I'm making this one team um, in Tokyo. I want you to try out for it, which Ashito's like, you know, look, (laughs) I I can try. But his mother kind of knows the idea that his family's very poor. Um, he has his the shoes that he's been using. He's been using for a long time. His his mother's barely scraping scraping by. So his mother's like, obviously, no, you can't go to Tokyo. We don't have the money to do that. Well, eventually, his brother decides to take a lot of savings that he had and give it to Ashito so that he can go try out for it. Well, she ends up going, but they put him through a, a lot of trials and you know see if they can actually get into the team or not. So and that's kind of been where it kind of left it. So did you watch the show? No, I'm really enjoying the show. This is. Uh, one thing that me and Chris say a lot whenever we talk about sports anime is not too into the sport. It's always about kind of the characters and the slice of life that go around it that typically makes it more interesting. Things like Remain here recently was a show that I really enjoyed because it was more about the characters. It was what they were going through rather than just the sport itself. And I kind of feel this is in the middle area. This has kind of a nice, good, solid 50-50 of character and the sport itself. And now when it gets to the sport itself, it's not really over the top explaining all the moves they do. It's just more about the play itself. And I, and for that reason, I've been enjoying it. I do think Ashita is, he's kind of unbearable at the beginning, but that's fine. <laughs> he is the over-aggressive, very ganky, uh, let's go do it. We can do it, guys. Pull it together. We're not going to lose this kind of character. But at the same time, I like the fact that even over four episodes, we've seen like significant growth in him already. When it starts out, yes, he's full of himself. It's all about him. He's going to get the shot. Just give me the ball. I don't need anybody else kind of thing. But he still acknowledges that his team is important. So it's not like he's totally 100% you know, full of himself. And then you get into the fact that his family itself is very poor, and they're trying their hardest to keep you know, ends meet. But at the same time, seeing that support that they have, yes, reluctantly, you know, hesitantly, because they don't have the money for it. They're not rolling in money or anything like that. They're just trying to get by. But they do want to support Ashto. They do want to give him what he needs in order to get out there. And to see like his brother come in, who basically introduced him to soccer, 
come out there and just give up everything he has, say, Ashta, go. I'll handle mom. Don't worry about it. Just go. And then cutting forward, Ashta realizing I'm here and I'm about to give up, but then remembering why he's there because of what his family sacrificed to get him there. Having those moments where he has that realization and you do get those glimpses of everybody struggling to just try to help support him was really fantastic. And then when it gets into the games itself, it's fine. I, I, I enjoy it. Like like I said, he's already seen a significant growth there as well as you do have him get into this team that's trying out together. They obviously have the tryouts and then suddenly I know where they have to group them together to play against a tougher team. But you're seeing the growth in him that he's finally realizing I now have people I can rely on. Not that he felt like the previous team that he had were useless. They did their job in getting him what he needed, getting him that ball. But more so that he now knows that he can rely on the people around him to do something more than that. So he's quickly realizing that. He's not oblivious to it. And I do like that. I like that quick growth that he's having. He's not oblivious to what's around him. He utilizes what's around him. And again, he has a very solid sense of his environment and what's going on around him so he can plan ahead, which again is technically his special ability. Now they've already kind of thrown a a sort of, I don't know, crutch in there for his ability. It seems like he doesn't really remember really how he pulled off what he did. It's like at the moment he he scans the area, the hawk goes over the view and he gets a full layout of everything. But then afterwards when they're asking him like, well, how'd you pull that off? He doesn't have like a full idea exactly how he pulls it off. So it's kind of a vagueness. I guess it's more of an aspect he doesn't maybe doesn't know how to explain it is probably going to be what it is. But um, other than that, they have some solid other side characters. They have Fukuda, who is the guy that scouted him originally. He is the big instructor guy. Um, getting into him and sort of how he it's starting to parallel him with Ashito in a way. Um, how Fukuda's sister, who is what, what do we call him? The 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 flower. Of the sports show. Every sports uh, show has the one female character that's always around to be like the girl that everybody focuses on. <laughs> that's Hana. Hana is the sister of Fukuda, and she's sort of like helping him out. So she does a lot of the gopher stuff, you know, is basically the water girl, um, does first aid when somebody gets injured. She's already got a lot of interest in Ashito just because she's always been watching her brother. And again, since we're drawing parallels to Ashito, she's kind of being drawn to him as well. So that's interesting as well. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been really solid so far. It's definitely a refreshing sports shonen type show that I've really been enjoying. It hasn't really been doing too much over the top stuff, just because. Well, it, in, unless you claim the whole bird's eye view thing of snapshotting the the play field, I think it's more of just a representation of how he sees the field. It's probably more the fact that he he has a good sense of perspective and um, uh, distance. And so he's able to kind of map out the field in front of him. But it it, it it describes it as showing a bird flying over the field and seeing everything. It's not that his vision goes to the bird. It's not like that kind of stuff. So it's keeping it very grounded. Additionally, they haven't done really much with them. But they do have a lot of side characters around Ashito that are currently doing the trials with him. Like uh, Aisaku. And Aisaku's been fantastic. I, I, I actually really like his character. He's, I don't like his character design. <laughs> but he's like... He's got he's like, he's like the character that he's not really good, and and the instructors are pointing this out as well. He's not that he's a good player or doing anything that stands out, but he's somebody that knows how to communicate to people. So he brings people together in a sense. It's not like he's actively going out and going, "Hey everybody, let's come together and be buddy buddy." It's just that he knows how to communicate to people, either it be you know forcefully or passively, to really bring people together to communicate. And everybody else, while everybody else during this entire trial is obviously looking at each other as rivals. Um, so I do appreciate that as well. You do have also the Prodigy character that 
uh, has his insecurities because he feels like he's peaked and he's not getting any better. Um, so it's, it's diving in some side characters as well. It's, it's throwing a lot of um, aggression towards Ashito with some of the competition that he's facing just to kind of force him to have to um, really think about what he's doing. And that's all that stuff that I really like. Like I said, it does have the sport in it, but it's more about the characters. And I really do usually typically are are drawn to that kind of storytelling with, with sports shows. It's not – if it's just too much sports, I'm not into it. I, I, I can watch sports anytime. I, I'm here for the stories. I'm here for the characters. I think the only time where I I felt that having more sports than anything worked out for me was only Big Windup. Um, but even with that one, it was a lot about the characters. And this one kind of feels like Big Windup in that sense. It's got a good balance, um, but not too much about you know how they're kicking it, where they, how they dribble, how, what's a foul. It's not explaining how soccer works, that kind of stuff. So I do appreciate that kind of stuff. So I'm actually looking forward to more of it. I've been enjoying it. So definitely a suggestion if you're looking for a show that has a solid story along with sports. Um, Ashto might be a little annoying to some people. Um, he does, like, But like I said, he does grow up. He does, he does evolve quickly. So he's still loud even in episode four. But he's definitely a lot less annoying main character that's full of himself that he was at the very beginning. So yeah, looking forward to it. But, um, yeah, Awashi, definitely a solid show. I know a lot of people were, there's, like, small groups of people that are really pushing this one. I know that when I did my video um, talking about my favorites of the season, somebody was like, where's Awashi? If you don't have, if you didn't watch Awashi, then your your entire list is invalid. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. There's a lot of people that are really super passionate about this one, and I can see why. It's definitely enjoyable. So definitely check that out if that's interesting to you. Moving on. Mojong Soul or Jantama Pung. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll. These are one-minute shorts uh, done by Studio Scooter Films. Source is a game. Genres are comedy. And this one's just about... It's a mobile game. It's a mobile game <laughs> where... Well, the, the show is not a mobile game. It's just a show to advertise the mobile game. And I, would, I guess I would kind of uh, put in the same style as... What was that one called? Something Orchestra. Where it's like a mobile game, but they just make a bunch of jokes. And it's an advertisement for it. But it doesn't really necessarily rely on it. So... I've only watched two episodes of it. The first one was episode zero, technically, that was on YouTube. It was kind of fun. It was this idea of having this VTuber and this champion player of Mahjong that were all kind of talking about the show coming up and, and joking with each other. But any thoughts on it? Uh, every once in a while, I kind of laughed. It, it, it is goofy fun. Um, like Andrew was saying, it, it, it kind of fits in, in the same line as uh, a couple of other ones where they're just kind of shorts that are doing the... Um, the kind of advertising of their their mobile game and it it i i i if anything i give this show i i absolutely adore hearing uh ponya <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just too fun to hear that but other than that it it's just goofy some of the, some of the jokes have hit hit me some of them haven't um absolutely loved the not the zero episode as andrew mentioned it was the first episode that uh where we got the upgraded truck coon and i absolutely Busted up laughing so hard at that. That was just too funny. Um, but other than that, I like I said, it's just been a chuckle here and in there. But uh, other than that, just goofy fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mahjong Soul, definitely check that one out. That'll probably be one that just at the end of the season, you could just watch it for like three minutes and get the whole show. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They, I mean, even, I mean, most, even is, for a short, even a it's short. short. One minute. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's even a full minute. So there you go. 
Heroines run the show, or heroines Taru Mono Kira Ware Heroine to Naisho no Oshigoto. This was streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 12 episodes, done by Studio Le Deuce. And this, of course, is based on a song that was done by Horneyworks, so that's definitely interesting. Dramas are music, slice of life drama. Series composition by Yoshimi Narita, who did Senpai is Annoying and I Start Shoe. And this one follows Hiori, and Hiori has recently moved to Tokyo. As we find out that she is, like, really into running. She really loves track. And unfortunately, the town that she grew up, this out in the sticks area, doesn't have a track team, obviously. So the only way that she can continue to do the thing that she aspires for, which is track, she has to move to Tokyo to join the track team there. And, of course, when she immediately arrives, she has to find a place to stay. Goes and meets her new school, gets introduced there, and quickly realizes there's two people in her classroom that are members of this big, popular idol group called Lip Lip. And she doesn't really care for it. She's never really seen idols where she was. Nobody ever went out there to perform or anything like that. So she doesn't really get the big, you know, hubbub. All the girls are crazy about these two guys. But for some reason, (laughs) she's the only one that always runs into them at the back of the school arguing with each other. She finds out their secret that they really hate each other. Um, But not only that, but one of them has a really bad issue with girls and the other one has just got a bad temper. So, uh, well, shortly later, she ends up getting a call from her family. Her mother says, you know, look, your father's ill, so we're going to be a little strapped for money. And Hiori's like, you know, look, I want to help you guys out. Since he's not going to be able to go out and do fishing and whatever and make money, I'll find a job to help support me over here so you guys don't have to worry about it. Well, so she goes on the, the looking for work montage plays out. And she's looking at a bunch of jobs, obviously, being in school. It makes it difficult to find a job because, you know, the hours aren't going to really fit for most companies. Eventually, she ends up finding one listing and goes there. Does an interview with a bunch of, you know, well-dressed women that are all going in there. And she eventually has the interview where they ask her a bunch of questions. And eventually says, you know, you have a lot of energy. You're a go-getter. All that kind of stuff. She's a hard worker. Do you like idols? (laughs) And the the first thing that comes to her mind is these two guys from Lip Lip. And she says, absolutely not. I hate idols. (laughs) Well, cut forward. She thinks that she totally lost a job. She had this whole outburst and everything, but no, she gets a call to come in there and come to find out she's going to be the new uh, manager in training under this other lady to be the manager for this lip lip group, which they're not too happy about it. They're like, this chick hates us. Why would she even be here? She doesn't know anything about idols. None of that stuff. But, um, I think what they were kind of insinuating the scene is that because she's like a go getter, she's very ganky. She has a lot of energy, um, but also the idea that, you know, it's kind of a good idea to have somebody at your side that doesn't think you guys are all that great, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you want somebody at your side that's into you guys? She ain't going to really find ways of improving you if she just loves everything you do. So that starts her her fun of being the manager of Lip Lip, kind of getting more into, yeah, the, technically how nasty these two guys are, but they're actually technically hard workers. They're really passionate. Yes, they put on masks. They obviously point out this idea that all their aspirations of being an idol is just made up stuff just to, you know, put on a good face. Uh, Hiori obviously seeing the other side of them, possibly helping them get better. And obviously the the struggles that she kind of faces trying to keep them in check and not arguing at school. And not murdering each other. Right. right. (laughs) Your thoughts? This show absolutely charmed me to death. I... I really wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it. Um, but Hiori has this kind of um, nature that just kind of m- makes you want to, uh, to, to root for her. She just is constantly g- 
doing what she can to to take care of the the idols while she may not be their best friends or anything like that. She does genuinely want to do a good job. And this shines through this entire show of this, this kind of, um, Genki, uh, will solve all problems. And <laughs> while she's not an obnoxious Genki, I, I, I know I'm saying, I, I'm, I'm putting her in that same category. She is a very, um, charming want to do what will will solve the problem type character um when when something goes wrong uh at, in in one of the later episodes um her and and it, it was almost this kind of um only th- this almost <laughs> kind of weird situation of um nobody can bully her except for us type thing with the with lip lip and it was while they knew um they they've they've gotten to the point where they do kind of honestly like her whether they want to admit it or not and and that's one of those things of that that Hiori is just this kind of character that just drives through and and just because of her good nature everybody does um seem to be affected by her in some way and i just i'm i i like i said i'm very charmed by this show i really did enjoy what i watched of it and I, this is another one that I'm very excited about and uh, going forward. Yeah, I was kind of uncertain if this show was going to have any likes to. It. I mean, it's just based off of a song, but uh, it is definitely one of those ones where I think I think Hiori sells it. Hiori is a very likable character. She's a go getter. She's somebody you want to root for. She's a very positive nature, and she kind of takes on everything that's ahead of her with you know a positivity that's kind of infectious. So I think Hiori, like I said, definitely sells this show. I really do want to see her succeed, and that's really what's driving me. I have zero interest in Lip Lip so far. I, I think they're like the only issue of the show, which, I mean, to be honest, it doesn't surprise me. They're, the whole shtick that's going to be here is Hiori softens the heart of the two, you know, cold-hearted guys. That's really what's going to be. She warms their heart. She helps them, you know, get over their issues. That's going to be the thing. That, that's the whole, the, the, the competition of this show and the story is Hiori fix these two guys. It's obvious from the very get-go that's what it's going to be about. So I, I'm hoping we get eventually to that point where that's going to be not as as annoying as dealing with that. Like I said, I've watched up to the point where it starts having he already realize how hard they actually work. That they're not just given what they have. I, I think the only thing that I was kind of afraid about early on with the show, additionally along with the, the Lip Lip, is they were introducing a crap ton of characters. We had like five characters introduced for Hiori's class. For some reason, she found herself up in the second story and ran into, or the second year's area and ran into like five people there. And then they have like, the, of course, the two, the the manager and the producer. They were just introducing a lot of characters in the first episode, and I'm like, you only have twelve episodes to work with. I, I is there a point to introducing all these characters? I hope that there's a reason that you're introducing all these characters because I don't know that we need them. Now, if they're just side characters that just pop up every now and then, and they don't spend a whole bunch of time trying to get into their whole stories, it'll be fine. But it did kind of have me a little concerned at the very beginning, having so much introduced when I don't know that they're going to have an actual purpose in the story or not. But, um, yeah, I, I've enjoyed it so far. It, it looks decent. I, like I said, I really love Hiori. I think she's absolutely adorable. Uh, she does get a little loud because she's obviously Genki. I, 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 I'm okay with it because it's Rem's Seiyu. So I'm like, okay, I recognize her voice, but it's like a super loud Rem so every episode you'll have those reveals where she does her big eh at the very end of it every single time. 
but um, she's a lot of fun. I think she's adorable. And like I said, the, the drama and everything has been playing out so well so far. Um, again, a lot of it kind of relies on Hiyori having to deal with the, the snidiness of these two guys, but uh, it's got a lot of heart in there as well. You just, like I said, you're, you're just wanting to root for Hiyori um, and see her succeed. So I think that's enough to really drive it. So kind of the, yes, school life, but also, you know, fresh into work life type of story that we don't really get a lot of. And I am definitely looking forward to seeing how it plays out. So I'm, I'm just keep my, I'm going to keep my expectations in check just because it's based off a song. So <laughs> I don't know if that it's going to have too many great dramatic beats, but yeah, heroines run the show. Check that out. If that's interesting to you. To you. Onipan. Uh, this one's streaming on high dive. It's been done by studio wit studio sources. Original. The genres are comedy and fantasy. And this follows three Oni, who it kind of takes place in a world where, you know, Oni and humans were fighting at some point, but at some point they just became at peace, and now they live side by side. But there's still obviously some misconceptions around Onis, and so the the big leadership of the Onis decides to send three very capable, the most capable of all their Onis. She totally didn't randomly choose by a dartboard. Definitely not. Specifically chose these three girls because they were the perfect choice to go over to... Tokyo, and pretty much, like I said, dispel a lot of the misconceptions around Oni. Um, once they get there, they obviously see that nobody really cares. <laughs> like, it's not like they're being hunted down or anything. But every now and then they'll kind of run into, the, like, they ran into a little girl who was a little bit afraid of them because they had little horns on their head, whatever, but uh, but like I said, the whole idea is just them trying to dispel this... I, I've, I've actually never seen them dispel a misconception around Oni yet, other than they thought that people thought that they wanted to eat them, but they, again, didn't care. Everybody's just walking by. <laughs> well, they did make that one little on... girl like them a little bit more. And they, and but they that wasn't a misconception. And... It's just she was afraid of them. <laughs> we, exactly. She that's was afraid mis- of them. And they, but that's they not made a mis- it misconception. <laughs> it, if she said they're dangerous, they're going to kill me, that's a misconception. But saying they're, I'm afraid of them is not a misconception. It's just you're afraid of them. I, you're, the, you're, you're, anyway. you're, you're watching this entire show wrong. You have to rewatch it four more but times. Then they have to you put it on, right. yeah, but then, yeah, they, they eventually, in order to succeed over issues, they are given Onipan, Onipansu, where they have to put now, them on. Now, I will give this, the, the, the show this. Those Onipan are absolutely useless. <laughs> yeah. They have to put on the... They, they get these Onipan, which are magical Pansu, they have to put on. They can't... They can't put them under their dress. So just make sure they're... can't put them under your skirt. You have to have them out in the open. And it makes them transform into random things. But it doesn't give them powers. So if they transform into police officers, it doesn't, doesn't mean they get powers as a police officer. So, yeah, they're pretty useless. Um, but, yeah. And then they had one episode where they ran into Momo, Momo Zono, who's obviously a... Um, <laughs> I forgot boy about thing, that. Yes. And they He's fight. Momotaro. And then, yeah. That's that's basically it so far. Your thoughts on Onipan? I I've generally liked it. I I I, I will say this. I absolutely love the voice acting. Um, yeah, it, it seems like I, I think Andrew had pointed it out, and I, I I kind of agree. It seems like these are new voice actresses. Yeah, Tessa um, G's like actually a kid. Like her Seiyu is like is that, legit that, a kid. She is adorable. <laughs> totally I dumb. love her voice. Um, it, it, it's one of those that I, I just have been generally enjoyed um, the the goofiness of this show. It's not doing anything spectacular. I'm not like rolling on the floor laughing. It's just a generally fun and cutesy story. I kind of put it in the same line as um, not as good, but om- but in the same line as the um, colorful um, Miss Bosch colors. 
Is it Mitsuboshi Colors where they 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 were running around the park doing goofy things uh, mm-hmm. and and making them into adventures? It's kind of in the same vein as that, where the these girls are just going out and doing just random things, and and they're almost making it um, almost adventurous in a way. Um, they're not exaggerating it like Mitsuboshi Colors, but they were just going out and doing things and and trying to I- improve things. And I do really enjoy that. Um, uh, like, like, like I was talking about uh, with the, um, they were trying to help the uh, the the shopping district, and and they were, um, and in doing so, they they were trying to just do uh, random things to try and uh, like make themselves into a mascot, and and, and just made the obnoxiously most ugliest uh, uh, mascot, and it wasn't scary ugly; it just looked horrid. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I very much have enjoyed it. I'm not as impressed with this show that I thought I would. Um, honestly, I didn't really expect too much out of it because it's just a, a Wit Studio original they're doing. Just a goofy, short type. It's actually like weird because I think they're releasing them in like short, super short episodes that are all kind of compiled and put onto High Dive. So they, they are very segmented stories and, and skits, but... I'm not and too impressed by it. I mean, it's cute, it's fun, but at the same time, it's not doing anything super extravagant. Um, I I'm mixed on the voice acting. I, I think they're adorable voices, but at the same time, you, I don't really feel I don't feel their character in the moment. Like it always feels like they're. It doesn't feel like their voicing itself matches the situation and them communicating to each other. It feels like they're just really talking at something rather than to each other. I, it's the best way I can describe it, which has probably contributed to the, the newness of these seiyus, um, the inex, maybe the, not really, I want to say the inexperience because it sounds mean, but the inexperience of the seiyus themselves, which is fine. I mean, they have to eventually learn to do their roles and they'll, you know, progressively get better. I'm sure by the end of the show, they'll probably be really fantastic at it. But I do feel, I do feel when I watched the show before I knew that they were very, you know, unknown seiyus, that it, it felt like it. So I don't know. It, it's, it's a mix for me. I, I think it's cute. It's got a lot of fun parts in it, which do you every now and then you typically want once per episode, we'll get crazy with the animation. I mean, the first episode, they just went bonkers having the girls running through a bunch of different neighborhoods all along the, you know, the bricks and the walls and jumping around the, 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 the roadways and stuff. But overall, it's just hasn't really done anything crazy. It's had a, a couple of really funny punchlines, but nothing, nothing laugh out loud for me so far so it's okay it's fun it's cute just a kind of a little enjoyable show so that's that's only pun check that out that's interesting it has a really catchy op though everybody's yelling at me because our music episode ended with it so everybody's got it earwormed <laughs> enjoy the earworm of only pun pun couple of cuckoos this one's kaku no inazuki this one is streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 24 episodes, being done by Synergy SP and Shinny Animation. The source is a manga. The genres are comedy and romance. The chief director is Hiroaki Akagi, who did Teasing Master Takagi-san, Those Snow White Notes, and Episode 1 of Rakugo Shinju. Series composition by Yasuhiro Nakanishi, Nakanishi, who did uh, Hanaku-kun, Kaguya-sama Love is War, Irodoku, and Carol on Tuesday. And the creator themselves is Miki Yoshikawa, who was the original creator of Yamada and the Seven Witches. This one follows Nagi Umino. And at the very beginning of the show, we find out that Nagi was switched at birth. <laughs> the little oops at the hospital. And he ended up with the wrong parents. And in exchange, 
this other girl was kind of taken from their fa- their his current family and given to another family. So apparently they just figured that out. I don't know how they figured it out. I don't think they even explained how they figured it out, but they apparently figured it out. And so on this day that the kind of the show starts out, he's going to go meet his real parents. And additionally, the daughter that they were supposed to have, they're going to meet that daughter. So um, before they end up going there, he eventually, you know, he's walking around. And at some point he ends up running to this girl that looks like she's going to jump off a bridge. And he freaks out and runs over to try to stop her. And oops, harem comedy. He falls on her and touches her chest. And apparently she was filming the whole thing because she was going to make like this prank video, like she's going to jump off something um, to, you know, post and everything. And apparently she caught that whole, <laughs> that whole, the whole oops grab thing. And as they're talking, she, you know, talks about the fact that she's being married off to some boy that she doesn't even know. She's just kind of an arranged marriage and she's upset about it. So she wants to use Nagi before he goes to meet his family to pretend to be her boyfriend that she actually loves. And so they take pictures together and stuff to try to send to her father. And then eventually, yeah, when he goes to meet his actual parents, I I bet you could have never guessed this. What? You never could have guessed the next part. Never could have guessed it. Right. Oh yeah. Big shock, (laughs) big shop, big, big harem story shock. They're actually the ones that were switched at birth. Oh no, that they were going to get married. Oh well, yeah. That that was the whole thing. <laughs> that that was her situation. Is that she was she knew beforehand that they were arranged to be married. He didn't. Um, so yeah, that that happened. Um, so it kind of seemed like that was a good thing because technically, while they were hanging out with each other, Erica at some point, this girl said that you know I kind of wish that you were the one that I was arranged to get married to. So it seemed like she was okay with him. At the same time, he was he he's a little bit troubled by it because he has a girl at school that he really likes, this Hiro uh, Segawa, who's like his quote unquote rival, in a sense because I think at some point he confessed to her and she said, "I'm only interested in boys that are smarter than me." So he's been trying to get a higher score than her this whole time just to make her acknowledge him. So he's not really into the idea of getting married off. <laughs> and then we have the third love interest, which is Sachi Umino, his sister. Uh, that he's grown up with because now that he's no longer technically her blood relative, she's kind of interested in him. <laughs> kind of insinuates this by her reading Siskon manga. But um, yeah, that whole thing. As it gets into the second episode, Erika comes by to see Nagi and she actually wanted to see his parents. He thought that she was coming over there to say that she actually wanted to get engaged and that he was going to tell her to call it off. But then it kind of turns out in the end that she just wanted to go see the parents so that she can finally meet them she's always she's terrible at communicating apparently <laughs> and she's kind of dumb as bricks <laughs> well your your thoughts on a couple of cuckoos um this one is a, a kind of a weird one i i do really like it um it, it it's setting up this very interesting kind of um weird um harem in a way and and, and i'm not i'm not sure how i feel about it's it's overall themes, which it seems like it's trying to do some kind of interesting things with it, um, with the switched at birth as a, as a as a concept for them to kind of delve into the kind of um, kind of feeling out the idea of the arranged marriage, which I think is they're going to be uh, they're 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 implying that it was. Um, they're implying that they were trying. They 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 wanted to kind of delve into that and and explore those feelings. They're, so it seems like it's trying to do some different and interesting things to set up this harem. 
Um, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like any of those are going to actually be explored very deeply. And that that is kind of this frustrating thing is I, I would love to actually delve into these ideas. Um, but it it is seeming to be setting up this kind of an interesting um, mix of uh, love interests. And, and I do like that. I, I do like genuinely like a lot of these characters. They, they do seem to be... Um, Kind of ju- like uh, the uh, Nagi's family, for lack of a better term, I mean, because everything's going to be all mixed up in this uh, this this situation because everybody's all switched up. But the the family that Nagi grew up with is is very brash and 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 likes to get past uh, gang members. Yeah, past gang members, and so they like to get get everything out in the open and and just and get it out there. Whereas Erika's family is more of the 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 kind of passive. Uh, "Quote unquote true Japanese family per se, not gangsters. Um, rich. Just <laughs> extremely rich. Yeah, and they're very very rich. And they have a dog. They have a house. They have a house Muscle's for the house. dogs. That's the dogs. <laughs> yeah, it's it, there, there's it, there's a lot of things going on in the story that that do seem to be kind of fun and interesting to explore. Um, so yeah, I am I'm very interested in this show. Um, uh, I, I do want to get to know a lot of these characters a lot more past um, everybody just kind of lying to everybody and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm very interested in it. Yeah, unfortunately, this is like the latest starting show. So we've only had two episodes of it of 24. So it's kind of hard, harder for us to really give a full sense of it at this moment because all we've really done so far is really introduce all the characters and then get into Etika for a little bit. Um, the fact that she's so terrible at communicating and that's I kind of joked about it. That's a harem show. That's it's that's most harem shows like this are built around miscommunications and so far we've had two straight episodes of miscommunications. The first episode was this girl is apparently engaged to somebody that she doesn't know. He's going to meet his parents. And the second episode is Erica him Nagi thinking that Erica is either going to confess to him or wants to beat up his parents. Literally two full episodes of miscommunications. Um I forgot to mention it but yeah, the whole arranged marriage thing was because what the parents believe in the end is because they love their children so much, but they do want to be a part of the the child they were supposed to have. Um, they decide that the best thing they can do to remedy the situation is have the two of them marry. That way they can be a part of each other's families forever, which, again, it's like, well, it's not as if you can't without being married. But parents, you know, they do that kind of stuff in harems. Anyways. <laughs> but no, I... So far, I don't know. I, I think they did a bad job of Erica's character so far. And I think that's because they're relying too much on the miscommunications. So far, we basically had one episode where she's blackmailing him by saying that she's going to show everybody this footage of him him grabbing her, which I've always hated that whole trope. I think it's one of the, more, the, it's one of the ones I can never really laugh at. It's like, ugh, I, I don't like it. With the second episode, it was mostly like, I don't know, 50% of the episode was her being completely like dumb as bricks because she apparently even though she has a toilet at her house even though she has a stove at her house she's completely shocked by the stove and the toilet in his house um she apparently doesn't know that a house is a house and not a shed because she's spent some of her time inside of a mansion it's one of those things where you're not this dumb it's not like she's been held up in a room in a mansion for her entire life she's an outgoing person she knows what a house looks like um, so they were just making her really like stupid, dumb as bricks. Now, you, yes, part of that is kawaii cute girl that doesn't understand the real world. But 
it was it was pretty bad. And then, like I said, the other half of the episode was just really the miscommunication part. And so, I don't know. It, it, they haven't sold me on Erica at all. And, the, and the, obviously, the whole thing that's going to be around the show, and they've already really kind of been doing it with the public the um, a lot of the advertisements for this series is really pushing heavy on the the wife who wars. This is going. This show is going to be advertised by these companies as a wife who wore which one's which one's best girl is going to be the question mark and like i said did a really bad job of selling me on Eric. i mean her breakdown at the end of the second episode did kind of sell her on me a little bit this idea that she just doesn't know how to communicate and she really badly wants to communicate um so we'll see if that evolves into something good but um and we haven't really met too much about the other two characters besides like i said hero who is the rival at school that he's in has a crush with she just kind of seems oblivious. Like she's too, maybe she's too into her studies that she doesn't really acknowledge Nagi as much as he acknowledges her. Um, but we'll see where that goes. She is voiced by now Toyama, so it's going to be hard for me not to like Hiro. But um, and Sachi Imano, the 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 sister, she kind of seems like she's a little abrasive, a little bit tsundere. But we'll see if how that evolves. I kind of like seeing that she technically, in the end, despite the fact that she's been avoiding meeting Erika. She does technically accept Etika in the end, even though she hasn't actually met her face-to-face, her actual sister. Um, so that, that was kind of cute in the end, but we'll see what they end up doing with the sister. But so far, like I said, all we really had is a lot of time to spend around Etika, and she's cute. I, I laugh a little bit at her ditzy nature. I got a kick out of her, or I'm not getting a kick out of it. I did like the little bit of heartwarming moment at the end of the second episode, but hasn't really sold me too much on her at, at, at this point, but... We'll see. I, I do have a lot of promise in the series just because, one, it's 24 episodes, and two, it's done by uh, Miki Yoshikawa, who did Nimada and the Seven Witches, which really liked that show, like, a lot. So I kind of have some expectations for the writing to be really solid. We'll just see how it turns from here. Nagi himself, very, so far, very typical main character. Again, playing in heavily into miscommunications and saying the right things at the right time to win over the the harem girls. We'll see if he they do something better with him um, as it goes along. But again, so far he's pretty standard fare. Uh, they ended the second episode with basically Nagi and Erika having to live together. So we'll see what kind of shenanigans comes from that. I'm obviously assuming Sachi's not going to be too happy about that. <laughs> but uh, the parents seem to be all for it. So we'll see. But um, I guess that's what you get when you have a parent Heck, that has way too much money. They're shoving them in a house together already. Literally just said that. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> All I hear, heard is the the parents are okay with it. There you go. That's so much respect I get. But anyway, that's a couple of cuckoos. Check that out if that's interesting to you. Uh, and begin the waifu wars. Who's your favorite waifu of the set so far? We'll see. Shikimori is not just a cutie. Kawaii dake janai. Shikimori-san. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll, running for twelve episodes, being done by Dogo Kobo. The source is a manga. The genres are comedy and romance. The director is Ryota Ito, who did uh, work on New Game. Seeing yesterday for me, Ping Pong Girls, the animation... Or Ping Pong, the animation. Sorry, not Ping Pong Girls. And uh, <laughs> my Senpai is Annoying. Series composition by Yoshimi uh, Narita, who did Senpai is Annoying and Starchu. Uh, this one follows Yu Izuma. Or U- Izumi. And uh, Yu is... It quickly establishes, like, right in the first couple seconds of the episode... Uh, has some extremely bad luck as he walks out his front door and immediately trips over a rock. And as he's going to school, constantly is uh, in danger by the random obstacles that seem to be drawn magnetically to him with his bad luck. Um, but he does have one good thing going on in his life, which is Shikimori. And Shikimori is his girlfriend. And Shikimori always likes to protect him. 
Uh, she looks really cute. Everybody admires her. But she has a cool side that whenever Yu's in danger, she runs in and, and saves him, protects him. And uh, later on, you meet a lot of the other classmates that they hang out with. And that's that's basically it. Shikimori is, is super cool and super cute. And Izumi gets lots of dangers at him on a constant basis. Um, I've watched three episodes of this question mark. So I'm not sure how far you've gotten. I don't think I've watched Saturday's episode. So yeah. your thoughts so far? I'm generally okay with this show. Um, it hasn't really done anything to drag me in. Um, I, I, my most excitement uh, of this show was having a, a, a goofy little um, theory that I did at the very beginning of the. <laughs> we had some it, crazy theories to try to keep this show, show yeah, alive. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that's the frustrating thing about this. I, I, I want to like it. But it's generally hasn't done anything that sets it apart from the rest. I mean, it's complete hook, for a lack of a better term, is that literally um, you and uh, Shikimori are effect- – Izumi and, and Shikimori are basically role flipped, um, where basically you have uh, – Izumi is effectively a shogo uh, – shoujo – shogo – a shoujo um, – uh, protagonist, basically, i.e. the Bricks character that me and Andrew make fun of. He's not complete Bricks, so, so don't get me wrong. And and basically, Shikimori is your uh, typical um, Bish- Bishonen character, where he she is literally literally. Um, now now don't get me wrong. She is she her her entire um, kind of uh twist is that she wants to be more cute uh for izumi to uh and and be cutesy for him but she can't ha- she can't help herself in and in, in needing to protect him because he's super clumsy slash prone to accidents around him and so a lot and, and a lot of the other characters are trying to help her in, in protecting izumi but it th- this is literally effectively the the gist is that they're role reversed now that would be fine as far as an idea and 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 even i think that when we've seen the pv the idea of it was an interesting concept of you know switch basically the role reversal however it didn't do enough with it. it 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 just kind of this is the this the gist and then slice of life from that that's not enough to carry this entire show. There's, there's not. It doesn't feel like there's enough drama in here to kind of push me to want to watch anything further. I don't need a super uh, uh, drama-filled show, but I need something, something to make me want to ca- carry through with this show. And at the moment, right now, I just haven't got found that, and so I am kind of frustrated with it. Other than that, I, I, it is, it is cutesy, fun, sweet. So in general, it's it's a fifty fifty for me. I I, I kind of generally like the cutesy moments in it for for lack of a better term, and the other side, I I don't feel like there's anything dragging me through. Kind of in the same boat. I I know this is I think unfortunately I think this one was just very overhyped. Um, a lot of people were super excited about this show coming out. I think a lot of the promotion materials really sold it. The PV was fantastic. It it was literally we were. At the cusp of how amazing My Dress Up Darling was. And everybody was like, it's okay. We're losing My Dress Up Darling, but we're getting Shikimori's Not Just a Cutie. Look how hot this girl is. And yeah, she's super cute. Love her cool nature. She's a fantastic character. 
But unfortunately, what kind of comes from beyond that is the uh, just the disappointment that what it turned into was, yeah, Shikimori looks cool and she she keeps protecting him and he keeps getting in danger and he says how cool she is and how cute she is sometimes and then she protects him and then he goes, man, I keep getting her in trouble and she's going to get injured eventually and then she protects him and it's just like it... There's only so many t- so many times that I can see that. Now, granted, a lot of people have said, you know, I think a lot of people's expe- expectations were way too high for the show. And from this point on that we've watched, like three episodes that I've watched, it's supposed to just kind of get more focused on just the characters. Let's start diving into these side characters and getting into their stories. It's more of a slice of life story. But I will admit that early on, I felt like there was going to be some sort of supernatural thing to go in its place because everything, like I said, is magnetized to Izumi. Like, it seems like he is literally cursed. That there is a curse placed upon him, and my expectation was that Shikimori knew that he was cursed, and she's trying to... Maybe at first she was just trying to protect him for the sake of... Because she feels guilty for the curse, or because she's some sort of supernatural being that wants to protect him. And then it was going to turn to a thing where she eventually fell in love with him. At first I thought that she was literally just trying to act like she was his girlfriend just to protect him and be near him. But it does seem like she's super excited when, you know, he's around and when he does things, she seems like she's legitimately into him. So there's obviously a true love between the two of them. It's just, I keep wanting there to be something else there. I'm expecting because of how over the top unbelievable it is with how like, like signs are literally falling on top of him as he's walking down a sidewalk and she's drop kicking him out of the air. She's always there at the moment, like she almost like she foresees it ever happen. The only re- the only way that she can stop some of this stuff from hitting him is that she knows beforehand, and even makes like a passing comment early on, like it's almost as if and she stops him. And it's like it feels like there's something that's supposed to be there that they're trying to reveal that they're not revealing yet, and it hasn't really got there yet. Maybe it will get there, or maybe in it's going to be a letdown. The idea that. It's never going to do that. I mean, I just, I might be making something that it's not just because I want to have something more than just Izumi constantly being sad that his girlfriend's always protecting him. He thinks that she's super cute and cool, but also that she, he feels like she's, he's going, he, because of him, he's going to eventually get her hurt. And I think that's probably going to be a, a solid drama beat at some point where he finally says, probably, look, we can't be together because I don't want you to get hurt. You're near me you're going to eventually get yourself hurt. Or she's probably going to get hurt at some point, and he's going to realize, I can't be near her because I'm so prone and I'm just putting her life in danger and I love her so much. I can already foresee that story coming if it's not already been done with the last episode that I missed. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It looks really good. This is Dogokobo's A-team, obviously. This is the good team, not unlike RPG Real Estate, which I think is their B-team. This one's definitely the team that's trying to make it look really gorgeous. And they're pulling it off. It looks really good. It's just, I, so far, it's just really cute girl protects boy. And I don't know that's going to be enough for it. I'll continue watching it just because I'm, again, expecting something that might not happen. But so far, it's been, I blame myself for getting my expectations way too high. But so far, it's kind of been a letdown for me personally. But we'll see. We'll see if it does something interesting going forward. That's uh, Shikimori. It's not just a cutie. Check that out if that's interesting to you. The Dawn of the Witch, or Mihotsukai uh, Reimeki. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 12 episodes, being done by Studio Tezuka Productions. The source is a light novel. The genres are action, adventure, comedy, fantasy. 
And this one, of course, is technically a sequel to Grimoire of Zero, uh, for those that don't remember that series. I don't think so far that it's a necessity to watch Grimoire of Zero. Let me just say that off the bat, because I think it does a pretty solid job of kind of laying the foundation at the opening of this series to let you know kind of where the dust settles. It's quite a it's quite a few years after the events of Grimoire Zero, and they do have a lot of cameos of the characters of Grimoire Zero, which you will obviously get a little bit more benefit knowing that. But yeah, so far it kind of opens up with this big academy for magic, as we kind of find out with this conversation between these two characters that, of course, several years prior, and yes, soft spoilers for the ending of Grimoire Zero, technically... Um, this, this, this big wizard named, uh, 13 came out and spread magic across the world. Uh, he was quickly stopped and then executed. And then following this, of course, there's now magic introduced to the world itself. So a lot of people are introduced to magic. And so they open up an academy to train people to use that magic. So that doesn't get used for improper reasons. Um, at some point we have a lot of focus onto the character named Cebu and Cebu is at this academy. And at some point he is, he's deemed as being like the worst of the worst, obviously, because he just doesn't know how to use magic. He has a lot of potential. He's just really terrible. Doesn't seem to be learning. So Albus, the big leader of this academy brings him in and says, Hey, look, you're not doing good. I'm about to flunk you. (laughs) But I have one more opportunity for you. I feel like if you change your environment, you might learn better. So I'm going to put you in a new environment and see if you learn there. If you don't learn within three years or your your um, administrator, the person that's going to be overwatching you, if they feel like you're not doing better, I'm just going to have your memory wipe of magic and being here and you go on with your life. Um, the whole idea of this whole project that he's being sent off to is with a couple of other mages. They're all being sent to this southern uh, town that she's being having built. And the southern town, the whole idea behind this project is to spread awareness of magic and change the perspective that people have about magic. Because while this whole war between the witches and the church several years before has happened and concluded... There's still this uncertainty about magic itself that still looms, and it's mostly in the South. That witches are still being hunted down in the South, um, and again, the perspective of magic is still negative. So they want to build a town there and bring positive light to people's perspective of magic. So he's been sent down there with several other students of this academy, and uh, they were supposed to have a escort witch, but apparently that escort witch got kind of uh, turned away by Luce, or Los. Los is a very short, very proud wizard that carries the, what was it, the Luden Staff, which is a staff that basically is a, it's known as the Witch Eater because it zaps the mana from somebody and can kill you. Uh, But she carries it around because she apparently has a lot of mana and she's apparently wanting to die. Um, But she apparently turned away this witch and said that she wanted to escort them instead in return that she can get access to the Grimoire of Zero, which is, the, of course, the magic book that was the origins of magic and this book that they're using to train students on. That's kind of watered down. They travel there. They end up running into a witch hunter who's trying to hunt them down. And then eventually they do arrive at the village where they run into Yohei, a certain special character from the previous series. So that's about as far as I got. I don't know if there's another episode came out or not, but your thoughts. I, um, as somebody who's watched the, the first season, pre-establishing, I think you were a lot more hotter on Grimoire Zero than I was. Yes. I fell off on Grimoire Zero. I watched it, but I think like the second half, it kind of petered down for me. So interesting. I wanted to hear the perspective difference here because I fell off on my like Grimoire Zero and you 
liked it all the way through. I generally so. watched it, liked it all the way through. You generally watched it? Generally watched it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, no, I, I'm. I, I do enjoy uh, a lot of the aspects of this. I, I do love having a lot of the fan service moments of, of seeing a lot of the old characters and, and kind of getting this gist of what, um, what happened after the initial story. Um, I, it, this is one of those where I almost wish I could have gotten the next episode because there's, there's basically everything is leading up to this moment. And for those of you who actually know, uh, um, uh, which character has not shown up yet? Um, you you do know what what happened at the end of the the last episode, and I'm super excited about this next episode, and I can't wait to see it. Um, in general, a lot of the characters I've pretty much liked, except for one in particular character, and I'm gonna let Andrew uh, talk about that character. I'm sure that he what? has a general feel the same feel as me. Um, but yeah, a lot of the characters are really, really great. Rue is, is, is just too much, too much fun. Uh, Holt Los? has been great. I meant to change this. They, they pronounce it Los in the show. So I'm going to change this. Cause I, <laughs> I said, I did a whole review or first impression saying Rus, and it's like, oh wait, they, they don't even pronounce it that way in Japanese. Um, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the fan service moments of, of seeing some old characters being brought, brought into this series has been fantastic. I've, I've loved catching them and seeing, oh, I, I remember that character. I think I remember that character, this character, I know who that is. So it's been a lot of fun to see a lot of that. Yeah. Um, Albus was a, Albus was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> she still says Boku too. I was got, got a kick out of that. Um, are you, well, I sat there and stared at um, Seb. Now that 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 sounds like his name. <laughs> it's like I said, it's, it's just how they pronounce it in Japanese. It's, it's Sable, but it's like Sable. Um, and it's 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 funny. It's like uh, Holden, uh, I, I recognized really quickly. Um, Yohei was was one of those characters. It's like I sat there and I stared at him, and I'm like, wait, his scar? Where's the scar? Where's the scar? And I'm, I'm sitting there staring at him, and I'm like. I got his voice immediately. I I got the voice too, and it was it was driving me crazy because the scar I was stuck on the scar. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been having a blast watching this show. Um, like I said, a lot of the a lot of the past stuff coming back and and getting introduced to these new characters, except for one character, which I, I'm I'm kind of passive on that character. Um, but yeah, generally having having a good time with it. Do you like what they insinuate that Holt might be? Are they I mean I remember. And I don't remember this entirely, but in the original Grimoire of Zero, they had this whole concept of the um, the human and the beast, uh, the beast, the beast people, and that they have to like form a pact itself. And they kind of been sitting the way this idea that there can be a person born when that from that pact as well, and that that she might be that. They they originally thought that she was like a half half demon or something like that. And I was really kind of interested to see how that would turn out. But then at some point, in order to kind of help her accept herself a little more the insane way this idea that she might actually be something more special and i was like i really really like that idea of playing off of that aspect that again they technically got into with grimoire zero but um yeah hey i guess i'm getting to that point now where i'm thinking it of it so much that the, a lot of the callbacks to the original series does kind of make it a lot more beneficial but like i said i fell off with with grimoire zero and I've been liking every minute of this show, this show so far, but I'm putting the hesitation there because I think I got through good, a good half of Grimoire Zero before I started falling off on it. So I could be like super hot on this show for half of it and probably fall off too. But I do have a lot of promise for this series so far, and I think that's probably going to be partly to do with the fact that, yeah, technically Grimoire Zero might have been that writer's first real big public hit. 
And this will be their second, which they will probably be a lot better at writing. And I've already seen that because they're doing so much with the characters. In like the first three episodes, um, technically only two of them was the focus. In two episodes, they managed to put so much development in two characters that I'm already sold on the two of them. I really like how they're developing the characters so far. The only character so far that, I'm guessing this is the one you're talking about, that I'm not liking so far is Seibu. Seibu is technically the plain character, the soulless doll. It opens up with him having no past and no idea of his past. Now, my assumptions are that I'm putting together already as they show a brief scene with him being brought in by Zero to somewhere, and he was obviously brought to this academy. I'm assuming that he was a threat at some point and that Zero took him down, wiped his memory to allow him to have a new life. That's where I'm kind of going with my theory so far. That's about where I would fit. Because he does have like an unending tap of mana and that was seen by the fact that obviously eventually he's going to have to touch the staff of Ludens and <laughs> sure enough he doesn't die um, he has a lot of potential he just doesn't know how to focus it but the only positive I'm seeing in Sebu so far is that we're already starting to see he's got he's getting he's changing he's getting character added to him as it goes along so as long as they keep doing that and keep evolving him as a character and keep giving him emotions and personality, I'll be fine with it. I'm fine with a character having a plain, you know, being a, an emotionless doll that was cleaned at some point and at some point has to rebuild on himself. And as long as you see that building of him, he's going to learn new people. He's going to learn new things. He's going to learn emotions. And eventually that should make him not a soulless doll. Um, but it was a little bit rough to deal with at first. The only thing that didn't bother me, the only reason that didn't bother me so much is because he was surrounded by a lot of characters I enjoyed. I mean, the moment that Los showed up, I'm like, Chris is going to love this show. Let's <laughs> just make that clear. <laughs> um, but I'm loving her too. Like she, I don't know, she's like, um, I, I guess like almost a, a mixture of like um, Kiss Shot and just your Napoleon Syndrome lolly 300-year-old yeah. vampire, <laughs> overpowered, full of herself, confident as all get been around the the bush so many times type of character. She had a great introduction, and she's super fun. But the interesting thing that came out of that character is I'm starting to see a darker side of her, which I wasn't really expecting. At some point, they get into this idea that this girl, uh, this wizard, this Los, um, obviously been around for hundreds of years, at some point lost all desires for love and everything that a normal person would be interested in. She's seen it all. She's seen death and all this kind of stuff, so she's not attached to things in the world anymore. All it seems like she cares about is change, things that will shake things up around her. So the moment that she walks across a field of dead, you know, a, a, this this battlefield where there's bodies everywhere, she's excited because it's something that's changed. The things around her is shifting, and that was exciting her. She didn't see death because she doesn't acknowledge life anymore. Um, so it was kind of showing the side of her that's like, oh, that's kind of unsettling, <laughs> that I'm hoping that we'll kind of see probably evolve over the time of the show. Um, Holt... Already love her. She's probably going to end up on my favorite, uh, my best girl of the season's list um, easily. Love her character so far. She's goofy. She's a lot of fun. She had a ganky attitude. But then, of course, getting into her backstory, which I think over maybe a kind of siding alongside Kud is definitely well-developed. I really like the introduction of what she was, that she was technically um, somebody that wasn't um, for the betterment of the Academy. She had this really dark past. Um, the conflicts that she sees facing going forward, even though she's found friends and companionships, the uncertainty about what she is and the persecution that she'll face because of it, 
all that stuff was really fantastic. And then yeah, Kud super shocked by him. I thought he was I I wasn't really expecting surprising. him to be that much either. Yeah, this this idea of this person. I mean, you, you got a sense that really quickly that he was all about protecting other people. Like he he sacrificed himself in order to save people that literally seen him as nothing but a, a companion on his trip. Um, he put his life on the line. But then you start getting into why he did that and what he's been through. And it was like, he literally wants to be the champion that saved him. And he he's angry because he sucks at even protecting himself in the end. I mean, it was it was really cool. And I really wasn't expecting that much out of his character. So, like I said, besides the fact that Cebu, pretty blank slate early on, um, I'm really loving the characters that they're introducing here. And the chemistry they have so far is really solid. And I'm really interested to see what they do going forward. Um, I'm like with Chris... Really interested to see what this next episode might be showing off. But um, so far, like I said, it, it's gone above and beyond what the original Grimoire Zero was. Um, and the original Grimoire Zero was all about the travels of Zero and Yohei that I really enjoyed. And when they kind of got away from that stuff, I was a little bit upset. So them kind of technically being at the village they're supposed to be traveling to, we'll see where it goes from here. <laughs> if that, if that, the ends of the travels ends up being the point in which it kind of starts dripping off. But... We'll see, but um, yeah, had a fun fasting too. So, getting <laughs> lost just walks right in. She don't care. She hasn't been around for hundred years. You don't care. Uh, Holt didn't like it though. <laughs> Pokemon. <laughs> it does look like a monster. <laughs> there again, that was a point where you're like, oh yeah, you Sabu's got some personality now. He's like, don't say things like that after apologizing. Yeah, Donald Witch, very much a surprise for me. I'm definitely looking forward to more of it. Um, we'll see where it goes from here. But yeah. I'm hearing a lot from a lot of people that have not even watched Grimoire Zero that are enjoying it too, so that's that's good. Moving on to Love After World Domination, or Koi wa Sekai Seifuku no Atode. This is on Crunchyroll, running for 12 episodes, being done by Project Number 9, the sources of manga, and the genres are comedy and romance. And this one follows Fudo, who is the Red Ranger of the, what are they call the pudding? The Gilettos. Gilettos. This is like a Power Ranger Giletto kind of thing. Five. Giletto 5. It's basically five rangers who go out and fight bad guys that are trying for world domination. And at some point, uh, they have the introduction of Destiny, which is the Death Reaper or something like that. She's Shinigami a bad guy. Shinigami Ojo. Shinigami Ojo. Mm-hmm. She's an evil bad guy that's fighting them. And uh, quickly we find out that Fudo, the Red Ranger, he's... Kind of gotten a little interest in her. Love at first sight. And so he kind of calls her out alone at some point and says that he really loves her and that he wants to date her. And this completely throws her off because she feels like nobody can love her. But, um, yeah, they start dating and following this, you kind of have these little chance encounters, quote unquote, where the the two sides are battling each other and the two of them kind of find a, a secret place off to the side while the battle's going on. They can meet with each other and have a date and then... If somebody spots them or walks in on them, they have to start fighting again because they don't want to reveal to everybody that they are, you know, the one of the biggest, baddest evil people is dating the the best of the heroes of the world. So, yeah, your thoughts on Love After World Domination? This has um, been everything I've hoped, I hoped I could have hoped for. I, I absolutely love uh, the the two main characters and and they're kind of just uh, intertangle it's kind of this gives off this um, kind of comedy ish version of uh, Romeo and Juliet basically um, where the two star crust lovers are, are are just absolutely enthralled with each other and yet 
they can't they can't work it out because technically everybody's uh uh hates each other so much and and they can't reveal it because that would just throw everything into a tissy um so i've absolutely loved uh how this has played out um the 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 comedy is just kind of just right there on the edge of just being uh, fun and, and yet not not obnoxious and and just falling flat on its face or anything like that. It, and, and the cute moments when when they hit you you uh, they're they're adorable. So yes, I've, I very much have enjoyed myself watching these this show. Um, I very uh, Decimi is absolutely screenshot worthy, and 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 we've we've had a lot of fun with a lot of her cute moments on 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 the Discord. But yes, just loving it all the way through. Yeah, I'm kind of mixed on the show. I I've only watched about a couple episodes, maybe three episodes of it, and I think it was like the date um the date segment that I really fell off on the show because it just didn't really didn't really feel like it had enough to really work with besides. Yes, this is his normal life routine and doing a date and him constantly thinking that she's probably not liking it and that kind of stuff. I mean, yes, Destiny's cute. Um, I I wasn't really sure if I was going to like the art style of the show itself. They're definitely trying to capture the manga, and it's a very unique style to it. Um, kind of similar to my issues with um, Dance 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 It's just it, it looks different, but at the same time, I it doesn't bother me while I'm watching it. Um, it's just very different in style than most most anime, but... I don't know. I, I I feel like it's one of those ones where I enjoy the punchline for the first time, but after a while, it's like I don't think it has the legs to really keep it going. It's it's a funny concept in general, but I just don't feel like it's doing enough to really change the the chemistry or anything like that going forward. But I don't know. It's not not not, not a bad show or anything like that. It's just one of those shows where I think it's got its concept across. I laughed at it, but then beyond that, I don't know. I, I'll probably have to give it a few more episodes to see if it kind of keeps the chemistry mixing up to keep it fresh. But so far, it's okay. It's it's okay. I mean, like I said, the 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 joke is the the keeping the the relationship a secret while at the same time having to constantly battle each other. I got a kick out of the fact that he technically quote unquote defeated her, and they have the cameraman there and everything, but nobody's really kind of addressing the fact that the big evil <laughs> lady is behind him on the ground dead. But uh, and then they'd start talking about relationships and if he's interested in a woman and she's having to listen to the whole thing. It was it was dorky, but yeah. We'll see. I haven't I haven't given it too much of a shot yet, but so he's, far it's he's, okay. He's a genuine meathead. I I, I I I love how he's just one of those uh for me anyway, he's he's just one of those sweet, genuine hearted uh meathead that he just he's he's a complete dork and, and he just he fits her perfectly, he really does. Yep, yep. Your boy Kong Ming is our next one, our Parapi Kome. This one is streaming on High Dive, running for 12 episodes, done by Studio PA Works. The source is a manga. The genres are comedy, drama, music, slice of life, supernatural. And this one follows the great Kome, or Kong Ming, who is, of course, one of the big generals of the Three Kingdoms Wars. Uh, at some point, he is on his deathbed, and he's kind of wishing for, you know, to have that peace that him and his generals kind of wished for someday. Uh, for the Three Kingdoms, which ends up manifesting in the fact that he is not that he's transported. He's technically transported to current times Tokyo, and he kind of has a younger himself. It seems like he kind of de-aged a little bit, but he's now in Tokyo, and he kind of thinks that he's in hell because they're, of course, celebrating Halloween at the time in Tokyo. So he's kind of going around going, eh, 
guess I'm in hell. Everybody's kind of dancing around in weird outfits and uh, kind of goes along with it. Eventually, he ends up finding himself in a nightclub because some people say, oh, my gosh, you're a great-looking Komei. Come hang out with us. And they bring him down to a, a little nightclub where this girl, Eiko, goes up on the stage and performs. Eiko is like a aspiring musician, um, does a lot of singing and stuff, but she's kind of stuck so far with her popularity just doing you know, performances at this little nightclub. And he's immediately entranced by her music. He kind of doesn't really understand this new age of, of music, but he's kind of, for some reason, her voice is kind of uh, entranced him. <laughs> when she gets done, she goes down to the bar and hangs out for a little bit. He's like, you know, I loved your bewitching music. It didn't really entrance me. And she's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever, guy. <laughs> and then later on, after she finishes work, she ends up running into him. He's drunk, passed out on the side of an alleyway and don't do this, ladies. Decides to bring him home with her to take care of him. And when he finally wakes up, they kind of have this little conversation about the fact that, yeah, he he's completely convinced that he is Komei from the Three Kingdoms era. And she's like, yeah, sure, whatever, guy. That's that's fine. Are you okay? Are you going to do all right with yourself? And she kind of... Uh, Let's him. She kind of gets him caught up with everything. Kind of, she kind of goes along with it. And explains a lot of you know new age stuff, like you know the internet and stuff like that. They kind of have this. It, typically, with these fish out of water stories, where you have somebody come from the past, they always have to have like constantly going, "Whoa, crap! What is this thing?" And they have to explain it. This story really does get past all that stuff really quickly by having like a training montage between <laughs> Eiko and Kong Mi and having her basically explain everything to him so that he understands the modern era. Uh, but the one thing that he's really captivated by, obviously, was her music. And he really does want to understand music. He's kind of been entranced by the concepts of New Age music. He doesn't understand some of it, understandably. But obviously, her music itself, he's really into. Um, so she asked, he asked him for her, asked her for help to find a job, which, which ends up being the nightclub that she works at. Um, which the guy there apparently is a big Three Kingdoms fan. So he he quickly uh, starts questioning him a bunch and then eventually becomes convinced that Kong Mei is this guy. So he gives him the job there. And what kind of follows this is because he hears Echo's music once more, he makes it his duty. He says, you know, look, you've helped me. And in return, I'm going to help you. If you want to have millions of followers, if you want to have tens of millions of followers, let me know. I will help you get it. I will use my strategizing to essentially help you get what you want. So it kind of from that point on becomes Kong Ming becoming the quote unquote manager or strategist for Echo to become a popular singer. So they've had a couple of venues already where he has to kind of input his strategies, typically using like actual strategies that they use during the Three Kingdoms era to essentially um, get her more listeners and people to, to her stages versus other people's stages. So yeah. Your thoughts? It has been an interesting uh, kind of tidbit to that the thing that Andrew just mentioned, where he's using his "quote unquote" battle strategies into um, effectively um, audience wrangling, for a lack of a better term, um, to get them kind of con- uh, the audience kind of not necessarily confused, but just shifted into the directions in which uh, would place her in a better position to yeah, he's, get more followers. He's confident. He's confident in her ability. He just right. got to get people to listen to her. It's like, yeah, here's somebody here that's had, you know, the, all these fans are here because of this person, but if they just heard Echo, they would know that she's a better option. He's got to get them to her. Exactly. And and he's he's he the 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 battle strategies 
yeah, I I can see what they're doing um, to kind of uh, imply that this is what he's doing and, and how he's wrangling the audience into certain situations. And it, it, it's fun to see him do that and, and how they explain that and, and, and all that. Um, excellent music. I have absolutely loved, uh, Echo's voice or Echo's, uh, singing voice in, in, in a lot of these, uh, songs. Um, I absolutely really did like the last episode. Um, and I absolutely felt just stuck and I've been kind of clicking on to get the next episode to pop up yet. And it still hasn't. And so I'm really frustrated. I really want to see the next episode, uh, fin- the finalization of um, their new addition to the group. So, yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it right now and, and am enjoying this show for sure. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the same boat. I, I'm not a huge Th- Three Kingdoms person. I do want to watch the, the Kingdom series, which I believe is based on Three Kingdoms. There's a lot of really good anime out there that are on Three Kingdoms stuff, and I unfortunately have not spent the time to actually go watch them. So I'm not, like, super knowledgeable on Three Kingdoms, but... It at least does a good enough job to really explain, okay, this is a strategy that he used, and that's the strategy that he's implying with what he's using here. What really technically uh, captured me for this story is, one, I kind of appreciate the fact they're not relying too heavily on the fish-out-of-water aspect. Like I said, they technically just got that out of the way. They said, here you go, training montage technically... He's now caught up, and it never re- relies on him constantly doing that. Yes, there'll be things that he does from his pastime that will kind of throw people off because he's employing it here, but he's never confused by what's currently in front of him. He understands what's around him. So I, I do kind of appreciate they're not relying too heavily on that. I figure that would be the whole entire joke is here's him constantly responding to things that are just awkward to him. Uh, what it's mostly relying on is Kind of the the character aspects that I'm really enjoying about these characters, Echo obviously and her, uh, you know, really wanting to sing for people. It gets into her backstory and about the fact that she kind of gave up on life because of what circumstances she was facing in front of her. And this owner of this nightclub basically pulled her and said, "You're an idiot. Stop it." And bring brought her to this club where she found inspiration to live on through music. And she kind of wants to be the same for other people. And that's kind of what Kong Ming grabs, gravitates to. If this is what you want to do, you have done that for me. You have given me inspiration to live on, and I want to help you in any way that I can. He, it, I, I really do like the idea of the old-fashioned mindset being brought to the modern time. I've always really loved that idea. The the philosophies of times past that people have kind of gotten, you know, left behind. Ideas like chivalry and how you respond to people giving you gifts. At some point, when she's explaining current time stuff to him, his his response isn't, I'm going to thank you or I will give you something in return. It's, I'm going to make this beneficial to you. You have given me knowledge, so I will thus use that knowledge to benefit you. Not that I'm going to pay you back, that I'm going to help you with that knowledge you have bestowed upon me. And I like that that mindset of him, how he really does look at the world differently than most people around him. And again, that kind of you know, continues on as he does assist her in the thing that she wants to do, which is again, become a star and help sing for people. Um, that stuff is really fantastic. I love that they've kind of slightly hinted at the idea of this is the life that he was kind of hoping for with the generals that he followed, that this was the, the, he, they were always striving for a world of peace and now he finally has it. And he kind of wishes that those that he lost, um, could be there with him. It does every now and then kind of hit on his sorrow that he's left them behind. And having her play the music, you know, to kind of comfort him was just a beautiful scene. 
Um, but I love that aspect. I like I said the the knowledge of what he kind of left behind and how he's kind of bringing that knowledge base to the current times. How he sees things differently than most people. Rivalries. How he sees that and technically benefiting your rivals to help them to you know secure relationships and stuff like that. It's it's really good. I really did enjoy it. Um, they handled the second, um, I guess, opponent of Echo a lot better than the first. I really didn't like the first one. I'm assuming that I'm assuming that she's going to be back eventually. But um, this whole idea of somebody becoming stupidly stupidly obsessive with you <laughs> is is a little bit far for me. But I did like how they handled the second one and how that kind of concluded. But uh, so far, like I said, a lot of my enjoyment's really around. I really like Komeng and I really like Echo. And I think their their bonds and, like I said, how Kong Ming brings a different mix to the modern times has been what I've been enjoying the most. And yes, the music's fantastic. I, I love I love all the covers they've been doing for the OP and the EDs. The OP's super fun, uh, really catchy. I love I just love the ED. I've always enjoyed it. It's really it's like a 2006 song that I've always enjoyed. Yeah, a lot of the covers they've been doing, a lot of the music they've been doing is fantastic, and I just really cannot wait for more of this series. It looks beautiful because. PA works. Um, it's not one of their most um, hyper detailed as like they typically do, but they're doing a really fantastic job. Of it. I think it looks excellent. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the stage performances are stills, but like I've said before, I, pre- I prefer that over CGI. So if if they can't give me full animated, they did it in the first episode, really some fantastic animation. But for the most part, it's not overly animated, but it still looks really incredible. So yeah, uh, compounding on something that you were mentioning about uh, Kung Ming. The the joke thing, uh, Andrew's right. They they they're not really using him as the kind of fish out of water. Instead, they've kind of uh, changed that up a bit. And I what what I do like about it is he's the the Kong Ming thing is more just to make him more of a standout character instead, where he's he's just the flowery, you know, just something that stands out in the crowd and even though you've you've got a whole bunch of very colorful people he is the most colorful person in the room yeah always has to wear his outfit yep <laughs> never put him in different i mean they they had a they had a little montage of them trying to give him different outfits but no he didn't stick with it he just got some weird some weird looking glasses he loves those glasses he he's loves them glasses he's a dork like i said i i actually love kung ming i think he's fantastic so He's been he's been a lot of fun. I, and it was a funny thing because when I seen the PVs for it, I was like, okay, Echo's really cute looking. She's gonna she's gonna be wanting to be a star. I'm gonna probably be rooting for her underdog story. But in the end, it's like I really like Komei. <laughs> he's really fun. Um, I I'm I'm enjoying him a lot more than I thought I would when I first seen it. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, boy, Kong Ming, definitely check that out. Fun, 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 fun. Healer Girl. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll, running for twelve episodes, done by Studio Three Hertz. The source is an original. The genres are music, fantasy, slice of life. The director is Yasuhiro Irie, who did Eden, Full Metal Alchemist, Brotherhood, OBA, and Scorching Ping Pong Girls. Script and composition done by or script and series composition by Noboru Kimura, who did Imaim, Gundam Build Divers, Kokoku, uh, Knights and Magic, and Amagami SS. This one follows a group of girls, mainly focused on Kana, and Kana is what they call in this world a healer girl. And these healers are essentially people that are able to heal wounds and illnesses with their song. So kind of opens up with Kana running around and then eventually sees this kid with a skint knee and goes over and sings a song for him and the skint knee heals up. Well, <laughs> kind of find out she wasn't supposed to do that <laughs> because she's an apprentice. Along with Reime and Hibiki, 
Uh, the three of these girls are apprentice healer girls that are working under the tutelage of Ria Karasuma, who is an actual healer girl, or her a healer. Uh, she works at a clinic where people come in with illnesses and injuries, and they come in there, and she you know, sings a song just for them that heals their wounds, and they go on their ways. And after doing her daily clinic stuff, she will hopefully <laughs> teach these three girls how to become healer girls. Definitely not sleep on the floor with a cat in, uh, yeah. next door. I, I was joking. It's like, it's always like this thing where you have these characters that are, you know, tutelaging under somebody and they never learn anything under them for some reason. It doesn't seem like they ever learn anything. Uh, they're just constantly wanting to be taught something. But anyways, yes, yeah, kind of gets in trouble because, you know, word gets to Rhea that she was healing some random boy and they're not supposed to. As It, it does seem like to get an idea why it seems like in this world, it's a modern times and there's, there's hospitals, there's doctors and all that kind of stuff. It really does feel like the, this is a concept of people being able to heal with music that is just injected into this world. This is a thing of this world and they do take it seriously. They take it seriously just like they would take any sort of profession, especially the medical field. Um, these girls have to actually learn about medicine, pharmaceuticals, all this other stuff. And yes, they have to learn how to use their singing with you know precision as it seems like with this world yeah you can have records that have music that heals but they're very generic they're almost like over-the-counter medicine that you would get very generic it's not necessarily for exactly what ills somebody music itself has to be crafted and honed to be for the purpose of what the person is in front of them and to give you guys an example this is something they've hit on i think in the end of the second episode where they have this pregnant lady, and she's seems like she's going to labor. She's having contractions. She's hurting. She's in a lot of pain. And while they're waiting for the ambulance and stuff to arrive and help to arrive, uh, Kana, along with this other girl, Sonia, uh, Sonia decides, you know, let's let's do something for her now while we're waiting. And they start to do a song for this lady, but it doesn't work. It, it seems like it's working. The mother's happy, but then everything starts to fall apart around them. The vision of what they're doing to heal this lady isn't working. And it come to find out as you know, this this lady that's actually teaching Kana shows up, they're not they weren't they weren't doing a proper job of you know focusing this song on the exact needs of not just the lady but the baby as well, the infant inside of her. And that's the kind of concept that they're trying to learn is that you have to mold and form your music around the exact purpose of the person in front of you. So again, it's the concept of a modern times injecting singers that can heal people, but really trying to ground it in reality and make it almost believable in this world that I really do enjoy. So, but yeah, basically Kana, Reime, Hibiki, learning about healing under the tutelage. Again, in the second episode, they introduce Sonia, who is friends with this girl named Shinobu. And Sonia is somebody that's already a certain class of a healer. I think it's C-class or something like that. So she's like a prodigy. She's really good at the, the whole thing. She's already becoming one. And she's working at another clinic that's, like, rivaled to the one they work at. And so she wants to prove herself by, quote-unquote, defeating them. <laughs> but uh, obviously, with the end of the second episode, that blows up, her, blows up in her face because she's kind of shown up by them. But, yeah. Really, really, really solid so far. Um, I have not been able to get beyond that. So Chris can probably give more context. But definitely enjoying it so far. No, you're, the next episode is absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, it, the, the, the really cool thing that I really truly love about this show, other than the fact that the music is absolutely fantastic. I've, I've 
several episodes, I have been near tears watching this show. It's just such such fantastic moving scenes in in episode by episode that they just hit all the marks. Um, I I love the character moments they have in this. The the like Andrew was talking about with Sonia, Sonia having this kind of second guessing moment, and uh, Kana trying to. Um, help her, but not being able to do so um, because of their, not necessarily that they're weak, but that they are just unlearned. They, they, they still have that experience that they need to gather as they're going from, from, from uh, moment to moment. They, they're, they're learning, but they just haven't gotten there. And, and, and Rhea uh, coming in and saying, you guys did fantastic. You just, you were, you were doing this and you forgot about this and and then they having them uh helping them out with all that stuff there there there's just such great character moments in the show and i really have enjoyed myself watching this this is a fantastic show yeah i'm i'm i love it because i think all the points where it wants to stick something, it sticks it every time. It, it just has these really great high points. Um, I, it, it's, it felt like with at least the first two episodes, like every episode has a high point. First episode has this whole evening sequence where Kana's desperately trying to help this old lady that's kind of a regular at this clinic. And she's in a lot of pain. Again, she can't really wait for anybody to arrive. And she just wants to comfort her. And how that kind of manifests into these quote-unquote images that each one of these um, singers apparently has uh, was really fantastic or something like that yeah um and then like the second episode like i said having this pregnant lady and them trying desperately to help her and it goes in this great little kind of vision of what they're uh kind of encompassing this lady in this like this field of comfort and then it kind of starts falling apart into like this uh this volcano eruption and then again katasuma coming in and just Kid easing the situation and, and really kind of enveloping her in comfort was really fantastic. The way they visualize the music yeah. and what it does to the people is is both magical and at the same time just kind of, like I said, gives a perspective of what's actually happening. And again, just music is beautiful. The music is absolutely stunning. And it, it kind of helps if you have a show about singers that heal people. That the music's good, and they're they're pulling it off. All the music has been absolutely beautiful, and even the fun music. They have like these little goofy segments where it almost turns into a musical, where the characters are just kind of practicing singing while they're singing about what they're doing. It's always a lot of fun. Like they had this whole moment where Kana and Reime and Hibiki are kind of just standing around talking, and then suddenly out of nowhere, Reime just starts going off on the singing and singing about how much she loves Karasuma, <laughs> and it just goes into like this weird punk rock kind of thing. Um, and then, like I said, later on, having them kind of cleaning the building while they're singing and they're basically talking about their, what they're doing, which is kind of is really talking about how she's struggling with her, her, her instruction. Cause she's really good at all this stuff, but she sucks at, I think it was pharmaceuticals. They, they actually um, got to a point where they were not, they, they were, they were getting more and more depressed about something that was happening and, and the, their singing became more and more depressed. And it was so funny to hear them doing that. Yeah. I think it's really fantastic. I, I think they're doing a really good job of that kind of stuff. But I think the only thing that was, was a struggle for me in those first two episodes is really kind of around the – it has some really bad lulling points, like where it just doesn't feel like much is happening. It's it, it does a good job overall of really, like I said, grounding this into a reality of a world where I can I can honestly see this being a reality. Like I can see 
I can see singers that heal people to be a real thing in the world because of how well they're grounding it in reality. Like I said, they technically still have hospitals. They still exist. There's still a necessity for that. But this is kind of a side thing that does technically have a benefit that people seek out. Um, but like I said, it does have rolling points. And I think that's really around some quirks around certain characters like Reime, um being a little repetitive. Reime's obsession with uh, Karasuma gets a bit much. Um, but overall, it's, it's fine. It's not like it's bothering me too much. Like I said, it's kind of helping develop the characters themselves. Hibiki's a dork. I love <laughs> They were planning on staying the night over there, and she talks about how, like, in the corner of this room, there's a face in the ceiling, and everybody kind of freaks out about it and says, never mind, don't want to stay here, and then literally it, it cuts, like, the later that episode, they have this moment where Hibiki goes to bed, and she looks up in that corner and sees the face, and then starts crying to her mom it was like it was one of those things where somebody points out something and you think that they're doing it just to, to scare everybody but no it's legit and she's afraid of it um but so far all the characters have been great uh sonia was fantastic too i loved her introduction she like came to go see kana and kana's like i don't know who this person is and she's like oh hey who are you i'm kana and she's like okay uh well come with us sonia says come with us and then they start walking and kana just bolts the opposite direction <laughs> she chases her down and says why did you run away and she's like because I'm not supposed to be around strangers. She's like, that's really good advice, but don't run away. <laughs> it's like so funny. It's like this whole like acknowledgement of the yeah, ad. If a stranger tells you to come with them, you don't do it. That's literally what your parents should tell you. But then like, but don't listen to your parents. But it's a good advice though. It's really funny. So it's been fantastic so far. Like visually, it looks great. Um, the characters are great. Um, the chemistry is fantastic. Besides, like I said, some repetitive humor around Rame. Um Everything else has been fantastic. Music's great. Everything, it's its really kind of the surprise hit of the season that, I again, I kind of... Again, I think this will probably be the one that most people are probably just completely overlook, and we'll probably talk about it quite a bit. I mean, it could drop off, but so far it's been really excellent, and I, I do look forward to, to jumping back into it. So it's definitely a, definitely a huge suggestion for me. It's kind of one of those rare... Uh, and see, this is where the thing is. Like, This is one of those rare originals that starts out really strong. It could fall apart going forward, but... It has the potential of being like a, a really solid original that um, I think people should check out. I think this one is, as it stands right now, it feels like it's it's doing a a calm episode, then an in, an intense episode, then calm episode, intense episode, and calm episode. Because the last episode was sweet, um, but it didn't do anything that fantastic. Whereas the third episode, freaking insane. I don't know. Um, the second episode broke me. <laughs> well, yeah. So and, and, a strong, and, such a strong ending. It, it's it's one of those where I I can think of intense moments in yeah I, I guess two, episode two and episode three were were kind of more intense but you 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 see what I'm saying the the, the fourth episode was kind of a more just sweet uh, cutesy episode where certain things were happening to kind of uh, play into the characters a little bit more but it wasn't an intense episode like the third episode which you will see when you do watch it yep, yep. that's Hiller Girl definitely a suggestion. Moving on, we have Tomodachi Game. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll Run for 12 episodes. Done by Studio Okuruto uh, Noboru. This one's stream, uh, the source is a manga. The genres are drama, mystery, psychological. Series composition by Kenta Ihara, who did Miroko-chan, Tsukimichi Moonlit Fantasy, and Taga, Tanya, Saga Tanya the Evil. Uh, this one follows uh, Yuichi Katagiri. And Yuichi Katagiri is kind of a boy who's kind of scraping by. He does seem like he has money problems, but... Even still, at the very beginning, it shows us having him kind of 
trying really hard to earn a lot of money because his classroom is going to be having this big field trip. And so everybody has to pay their part for the big pool of money that will kind of get everybody on their vacation. Um, seems like everybody else is kind of doing well. Makoto seems to be like a guy that has plenty of money. Everybody else seemed to have gotten the money together that they need for it. Uh, it kind of zones in on Yuichi's friends, which we have Shiho Saragiri, um, who kind of seems like she is the class rep. And then you have like her, the assistant class rep, whatever you want to call it, uh, Makoto. Uh, he's like, again, like more of a rich kid. Then you have Tenji and uh, Yutaro, y- y- Yutori, who are also in this kind of group of friends. At some point, it seems like that money goes missing. Somebody stole the entire classroom's money. So you have Shiho and Makoto are kind of up in front of the class apologizing for losing it. They're going to try to figure out, you know, what happened to it. They're obviously trying to figure out if somebody has stolen it. Um, Obviously, people start throwing blame around, including to Yuichi, who was the one that is hard on money, obviously. The following day, you find out that Shiho and Makoto don't show up to school. So everybody obviously start to wonder if they just stole the money and ran off with it. But, uh... That that evening, Yuichi ends up receiving a letter from Shiho saying to come to the school front gates at a certain time. And he arrives there and everybody's like, okay, we're here, Yuichi. What did you need? Well, he's like, well, no, I just got a letter from Shiho. Well, apparently they all had gotten letters from each other saying to come meet at this gate. And then they get attacked by somebody who uh, kidnaps them and takes them all to this kind of abandoned building where or this, this abandoned school place, whatever. This kind of like death game kind of thing where they get locked up somewhere and they have to play a game. So, but this isn't a death game per se. This is a debt game. Um, I don't know. Eventually they could die, but some people do claim that debt is the same as death. If you get enough debt, you're pretty much dead. Um, but yeah, they, they, it kind of is laid out to them by this Madaba Kun who's kind of like Chucky mixed with Bob the Builder, this creepy looking doll guy that apparently is from tele, some television show. Um, he comes out and explains the whole situation to them that there is one of the friends, what these, these, these kids who were all like apparently super friends, uh, one of these friends has a large amount of death. So in order to work off this debt, they can all play this game together where they will all have a portion of that debt. And as they play the game, part of that debt will be kind of shipped away until eventually to the end, they can not have that debt anymore. And it seems like quickly they start to try to figure out who is the person that has this debt that won't tell anybody else. They're kind of thinking, well, whoever stole that money could have been that friend to pay off that debt. But it doesn't seem like they try to sidetrack it and say, you know, look, we shouldn't be trying to figure that out. Let's just play this game, get rid of this debt and move on because we're friends, right? So they start playing games that will essentially pin them all against each other because it's kind of instilled upon them very quickly. Just so you know, nobody that plays the Tamadachi game wins if they don't trust their friends. So it it becomes a a game of who's really a friend and do they really trust each other and whatnot. The first game they play is kind of like a Kokuri-san where they all have to put their finger on this coin and it goes to yes or no. And if one of them, you know, obviously decides to go one direction or the other, it can kind of shift where the coin goes because this Kokuri thing knows what everybody's thinking. Um, And then later on they play this game, which I've never heard before, which is almost like a, it's like a board game where you're trying to go across this, um, all these pieces to the end part, but at the same time, every round, everybody has to go into this little room where they write down something that is a rumor about one of the other friends, and if it ends up being true, they have to go forward one space, and whoever gets to the end first gets all the debt from everybody else. So, And they try to do this thing where they try to kind of 
nobody write anything down. That way they move one piece at a time all together. But then it ends up accruing a ton of debt on them because each space can be uh, uh, another amount of debt. So, yeah. And then the and then they start really kind of everything kind of hits the fan at that point, I, in my opinion. So the first the first game kind of really felt like it was Yuichi um, thinking that they're that somebody's trying to work against them. Like one of them is not a friend that's trying to ruin everybody else. But the second one really does seem like everybody's starting to air out their issues with each other through the whole truth system of writing down rumors and stuff so thoughts he actually, I you like, actually watched it i thought i was gonna go thoughts no i didn't watch it i am absolutely i let me let me let me put this out i don't like bob the builder um <laughs> i don't like chucky or bob the builder um no it, it, it's one of those weird things where i i am absolutely enthralled by the psychological game that they're playing here I I absolutely love the um kind of delving into the mindsets of these characters as they deal with this um effectively um undermining each other which is not is is making them feel like each one of them are against each other and and I, I I wonder if the end goal of this entire game is to actually ultimately like andrew is saying um you cannot win this game if you don't trust each other or something like that and and i i think that that's a fascinating concept of if you really stop and think about it all of these all of these um these games are in some way shape or form both undermining the the trust of each other and at the same time ultimately they they can uh bring them together in a, in a different way, airing out their grievances, airing out their grievances. And, but at the end of the the game, I mean, if you still like each other, you will actually be stronger friends after all of this is done. So it's, it's this kind of weird mix of both. Um, yes. At the same time, it's, it's a bad thing. And at the same time, it's actually technically good thing. So it, it, it's a fascinating dig into the, the psychological mi- mindset of this on the downside. Um, I'm not sure I much care about a lot of these characters. It is <laughs> a it, big it, problem. Yeah, it, it, it's the these characters delving into their their mindsets is cool, but at the same time, I don't like any of them at, as it stands right now. So, I I'm I'm of two minds of this show. I'm I really am definitely going to continue this show unless they start getting really crazy dark. But as it stands right now, I I like the the delving into the psychological thinking of a lot of these characters. Yeah, I kind of figure it's going to end one of two ways. Either it's Yuichi makes them all believe that he's like the best friend of theirs and their greatest ally, and then he just betrays them all and takes all the money. Yeah. Uh, or it's going to end with pretty much everybody having, you know, gr- shown all their grievances so well that their friendship is like rock solid. Yeah. Like it's, like I mentioned before, the second one where this crap hits the fan, the second game. It really, it really kind of made me believe. Like, the only way I can see this ever ending well, because again, they point out you will not win this unless you trust your friends. It comes out to be one of those things where they they air each other's grievances so well that they are comfortable with each other because they never got that out, and they finally got it out, and they realized, hey, now that's out there, let's move on, kind of thing. Like the idea that if you have a really bad fight with a friend, sometimes you can come out being stronger than ever. Like you've, you've hashed it out and you've done that. 
and you're able to move on. You know what they're thinking. You, you, it's no longer a question anymore. And I, I think I can see it doing that, but I, I probably lean more for the first one. It's just going to make him he's betrays everybody. It, it, it hints very early on that Yuichi has two mindsets. He has now again this I'm, assumption it hasn't really said specifically. He's had a father who was all about money and a mother who was all about friends. And every time something happens, he thinks about two of those different sides of the coin. The father saying the first the most important thing is money. And the mother saying the most important thing in life is friends. Make many friends kind of thing. So he's obviously conflicted. But no, but I, my original thought when I first came in the show is the biggest problem that I have with this show is it's all about the bestest of friends play a game of friendship. And I'm like, I don't believe any of these guys are actually friends. Like, because it throws them so quickly into this quote unquote death game, I don't, I, I never got a sense that they were really friends. I mean, they hung out with each other, and all I know is that they hung around with each other in a classroom at some point and talked about how they got the money together for this trip. And then I get these little insights into, okay, this girl trusted this girl with this secret that she had, and this other guy listened in on it. That's all I got for the idea of them being friends. <laughs> I've never really gotten a, a sense that they're close to each other. And that's been kind of my struggle that I've had with this show is that I don't like the characters. I don't think they're friends. I don't think they've ever been friends. And so I don't really trust that they can be in this competition about the f- closest of friends. So it's it, it still needs to sell me on that. And in like three or so episodes of it, I, I don't think they've sold me on that quite yet. And that's that's my struggle that I have right now. And then when they got to the point where... I don't know where we find out one of him. One of the characters is a super creeper that likes to stalk somebody and has been essentially bugging them his entire life because apparently all he does all day, every day, is follow this girl around with a a tapping device. It's like, okay, sure, I believe it. <laughs> Let's go along with that. I'll, I guess I'll follow you along with this whole story. It's it's a it's kind of a struggle in that regard. Now the. The side of so and so's really his his father has been a uh, a playboy his entire life, and so that automatically that means he is too. Okay, obviously, (laughs) it's it's a struggle in that regard. I I think the only thing that's really going to save it, and I think often cases with these kind of again death game type of things, it's always been the idea that what ends up being the draw in the end, because yeah, you technically can't get enough time to really get characters. Usually with these stories, they have to throw you right into the death game because that's the hook. If you had, you know, 15 chapters of developing the characters before the death game begins, nobody would ever start to read the story for the death game. Is it a slice of life or is it a death game? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Don't worry. Eventually it's about Tomodachi game. Um, The Tomodachi game ends up being just them slice of life. Oh yeah. By the way, they finally get into this whole game. 15 chapters in. But no, what ends up coming from these stories are typically the strategy. Like, what ends up being interesting is around when the characters really start strategizing how they're going to win a game or not win a game. And I think with the Kokori game, it was kind of showing me a lot of signs of that. And it was through Yuichi really kind of trying to map out what exactly was happening. And you can start theorizing what characters are doing. They can't show what their debt is because if they show it, it'll double. But they can say what their debt is. So it has to be a trust thing once again. And getting into that kind of stuff is very interesting. I'm kind of curious to see how it plays that stuff out. But I think the struggle that I'm having with right now is I'm not seeing enough of that, especially with the second game. I wasn't really getting any of that. Um, well, yes, uh, but it's it's tingy and he sucks at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't getting it. Yeah, it's just creepy and if anything. I wasn't getting a feel of stuff I would enjoy. Um, so all I was getting, especially with that second game, is just that... These people just 
do you all kill each other? <laughs> like, turn this into an actual death game. Turn it into Battle Royale and just give them knives or something. I don't Good, really then care. then I can stop watching it. Yeah, and then we can, <laughs> we can move on. Um, it's a struggle for me in that regard. I haven't got enough of the strategizing, and when I have gotten the strategizing, it doesn't feel like it's doing enough. Um, and it's kind of odd that everybody seems to know what Yuichi's thinking. Like, every time he, like, fi- figures something out, it's like everybody goes, oh, he's figured it out, hasn't he? <laughs> it's like, wait, did they read his mind? I guess Kokori's reading their mind for yes or no, so maybe maybe they all can read his mind. I don't know. Well, um, it, it, it's funny. I mean, going into what Andrew was saying, the the kind of, um, like, and, and I had mentioned Tenji's doing it in, in this game, but he sucks at it. It, it literally <laughs> is this... The, the first game it was literally yuichi trying to kind of effectively manipulate the game to the best of his ability and then now tenji is doing it but he sucks at it and and then you have the two girls that are watching from the monitor room and oh yeah well is tenji really the one that's running this game or is it so and so else and it's like i i i do like that but at the same time like i said it's it's one of those things is is it enough when we, and and that's one of the things that I kind of want to see the next the next part of the game to if we can ever get out of this stupid bad mouthing game um then we'll actually I'll, it'll be interesting to see what the flavor of the next game is and and see then I can probably then we may be able to kind of see okay is this what direction are they going I just hate that we'll have to be 10 episodes in when we finally finish up the bad mouthing game I'm I'm already feeling like a big um, twist is going to be that um, Yotori is going to be Yotori is going to be like the big the big bad guy. Like honestly, if you watch the OP, they they have a lot of fun with doing a kind of perspective of people's faces changing to the the masks to what's behind the mask, and everybody has kind of a a devious side. The only one they don't do that in the OP with is Yotori. She's the bullied girl. She's the, oh, everybody's being mean to me. Everybody's betrayed me. She's like the super submissive girl. She's going to totally be the big bad guy. It, it, I, I was kind of surprised when they revealed what happened with Tenji. I was like, oh, I was kind of assuming it was Yutori. But eventually, we're going to get Yutori's big big reveal. So, I don't know. We'll see. It, it's, it's been good, though. It's it's not not the bad. The show's bad. I know I've been pretty mostly negative on this. But I, I typically do that with a lot of these psychological type of shows because they 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 sometimes get a little bit too far into the derpy uh, twisted faces and people are like super over the top unbelievably dark or whatever um that it usually throws me off so i hope that eventually turns around to something really interesting but so far it's like the tomodachi game about people that all hate each other and they're not really friends that all want to kill each other it seems so (laughs) we'll see we'll see tomodachi game Check that out if that's interesting to you. In the heart of Kunoichi Sabaki, or Kunoichi Sabaki no Mune no Uchi. This one's the streaming ultimate on Crunchyroll. Game. Yes, exactly. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll, being done by Studio Cloverworks. The source is a manga, the dramas are comedy. And of course, the creator behind this one is uh, Soichiro Yamamoto, who of course is known for doing Teasing Master Takagi-san, as well as Even So. Ayumu draws closer to the end game, which is, of course, going to be a series that will be adapted in summer. So this person is getting a lot of adaptations going on. So that's great. Um, but yeah, this one follows uh, Tsubaki, who is one of these ninjas that's in this clan, the Akane clan. And this is a clan of uh, Konoichi that are kind of secluded in this one little this one little uh, village out in the middle of nowhere. 
and they're all being t- trained as uh, ninjas, obviously. And they have different classes or different teams, one being Team Dog, which is uh, Subaki, Asago, and uh, Sazanka. There's other teams, which is, includes like Sheep, Rat, Monkey, so on and so forth. And each one of these teams are kind of being taught. They have classes that teach them different skills and combat and all this kind of stuff. But the obviously the interesting thing that we get into quickly early off the bat is yes, there's no boys here. <laughs> there's no men in this in this Akane clan, um, and that's for a reason. It seems like it's instilled upon these kids very often that they are no they're not allowed to go anywhere near men. Um, there's this insinuation that nearby there's this other clan that is a bunch of males and. Right off the bat, in the first episode, we have Suzanka, who's trying to kind of uh, impress Tsubaki, their, her, basically her lead of their team, uh, who she looks up to a lot. She wants to go find one of these boys and defeat them so that she can impress Tsubaki. And so she goes out there, drags Asago along with her, and when they find out that they are going to do this, that this clan is actually training out there right now, uh, Tsubaki has to run out there and capture them and bring them back before they run into a guy, which is strictly forbidden. Well... They end up hearing the guy. The guy is out there, and as they try to, she tries to pull them back. This guy calls out to them, and they quickly run away. And ever since then, Subaki's kind of been something's changing in her. She's she feels this weird fluttering feeling within herself because she's become kind of obsessed with the idea of of meeting a man. Like, what are these men? What are, what's about them? How are they different? Um, all the while training and trying to do all the other stuff that she's kind of put on to do. So. Your thoughts on In the Heart of Konoichi Sabaki? I, I generally love the show. It's it's very cute, um, very sweet. I, I do like the kind of um, what is love questioning uh, that Subaki does a lot of, uh, uh, wondering what is these feelings that I'm having in my in my in the letter letter episode that the the actual subject of love pops up and and then she starts wondering about whether or not she's in love and she is she actually in love if she's never actually seen a guy? Um, so it, it, there, there's a lot of these cute little moments uh, all through the show. And I, I do love a lot of the interaction with a lot of the other quote unquote uh, teams, uh, monkey, uh, sheep and rat. Uh, they're, they're all absolutely adorable in their own little way. Their, their personal interactions as, as their own teams um, the introduction of the, the, the mirror twins or whatever, the snake twins, uh, they were absolutely fantastic and, and learning how to, how to use teamwork to, um, to actually defeat somebody who's actually a team. Um, so yeah, I've absolutely loved it. Uh, love the artwork and just whatever reason uh, the, the f- big foreheads actually work for me, I guess. <laughs> so it, absolutely cute. Um, so enjoying it a lot. Yeah, I think like the the thing that I'm always stuck on with this show is I just absolutely adore the character designs. I think this is some of the most phenomenal characters. And there's a lot of characters here. This is and and that's kind of the the strength and the weakness of this series as a whole is there is a lot of characters in this show. And it, it really did seem like with the first episode, maybe into the second episode, it really did feel like I was a little worried about this series. I did check out the manga, but I only read up to about where the first episode ends. Um, so I just got a really brief introduction to this idea of Tsubaki just kind of being very doki-doki over what is a man and if she can ever see one and what is this feelings that she's having whenever she hears the word men, men. If, if somebody says ramen, she thinks, oh, they said man, and she freaks out. Uh, it was getting in that realm where she was really kind of 
overly thinking it and she couldn't get it off her mind. This obsession with, you know, what is a man? Everybody else is always kind of joking like, haha, yeah, men, they're stinky, smelly, uh, they're, they're weak in the crotch and all this other stuff. They're dumb and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the teachers themselves are like, don't ever speak of them. Don't ever see them. You're forbidden to see them and you should be terrified of them. They will kill you. They're strong, barbaric people. Um, really trying to instill fear upon these kids. They even play a game where they have they play a game of a tag and they put a really bad stipulation on if they lose just to kind of create this fear of of men. Um, so that was kind of the concept they were creating with the first episode and and a little bit into the second episode. And I was a little bit worried by it. Like, is this going to be just strictly this is a beautiful show with a lot of really cute characters with fantastic character designs, great visuals. This is like I think somebody said this was supposed to be my dress up darlings team. Um, so I can see it like this is visually the show looks absolutely incredible. Um, and I do like uh, the creators writing. They're always really good at creating these cute moments where characters are just kind of fluttered or thrown off by something. Um, they're just really fantastic at that stuff. It wasn't until we got into Benissimo's story that I was like, OK, good. I'm I'm comfortable with this writing now. Like I can see something being here. Because honestly, if I want to be really critical about In the Heart of Kinoichi Spocky, which really hurts me to do because I really love this show. If I had to be really critical, the story about the men and Subaki's obsession with it is not really interesting. It's not really a great story. Like when it finally gets into something about why they're supposed to be afraid of the men, it's not that interesting. Now they could do something really cool with it later on. I'm sure they will. Eventually they might get into Subaki doing something with the men or something like that. Uh, having a lover's quarrel in the middle of everything. They could possibly get into that stuff. But for right now, it's not very interesting. What's still holding me to the show right now is that I acknowledge the fact that this writer's really good at these really great little character moments. These little segments of, let's focus on one character. And I think it's good that the the clan is basically separated into uh, teams because you can kind of focus in on teams as a whole. And they did that with Sheep. When they did uh, Benissimo's story, it wasn't just about Benissimo. It was about... Uh, Tawada and the fact that she thought that Benissimo wasn't trying hard enough, even though Benissimo has like this really uh, great potential, she feels like she's not training enough because Benissimo is trying to give off this perspective that she's lazy and that she's just a prodigy. Like she doesn't even have to try. She's that good, but she's always training in secret. Um, So it was the insecurities about her team around her that kind of developed them as a team as a whole, Uh, but still having these moments where they do kind of, kind of technically dive in on one specific character. They had a whole segment on Monkey's leader, uh, Mokuden, and how she's overworked, basically. She, people rely on her too much. So it really does, so far, seem like a lot of this focus around this series is going to be on fantastic visuals, great character designs, and fantastic character moments. Like, just a ninja clan and getting into each of these characters as ninjas and the shenanigans that happened. But like I said, being super critical, I can probably honestly say that like probably the overall story is probably not going to be that impactful. They could do something cool. But so far, the draw for me is the characters. And the characters are a lot of fun. I really enjoy being around them. Asuka is a dork, always cares about food. Sazanka is a dork. She's just obsessed with Tsubaki. Um, like I said, Benissimo's story was fantastic. Um, hard worker that doesn't want to show it. Mokuren is just an absolute sweetheart. She just wants to help everybody, even though it wears her out. So I'm enjoying it. And um, again, like I said, I'll, I'll acknowledge the fact that it's a lot about the, the characters themselves. So we'll see if it does something more interesting in the overall story <laughs> as it goes on. But yeah, that's in the heart of Konoichi Sabaki. Definitely check that out.
De Aimon. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll. One for 12 episodes. Being done by Studio Encouragement Film. The source is a manga. This is Zazama's Our Slice of Life. The series composition by Reiko Yoshida, who, of course, is known for doing Hike Story, A Silent Voice, Liz and the Bluebird, uh, with, along with uh, Naoko Yamada, uh, as long as uh, Violet Evergarden and Hakume Tomikuchi. So This one follows Nagumo. Or I always say Nagumo. Nagomu. Nago, uh, Nago. I'm just going to say Nago from now on because for some reason I always get the U and the O mixed up. Uh, Nago essentially, when he was younger, decided after he was really interested in his family's sweet shop. He actually really, really loves sweets. Like, to like a, a, a terrible degree. Like, when they sell sweets, he basically tears up and says goodbye to them like they're a lost, a, a loved one or something. Um, but at some point, he overhears his grandfather talk, talking to his father about how. You know, Nago should probably go off and do something else. Like, he, he's probably not fit to, you know, take on this family business. It, it'd be better off if he went and did something else with his life. And after overhearing this in secret, he decides, okay, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go I'm gonna go pursue my, my ambitions of being a musician. So he ends up going to Tokyo, um, getting into a band, doing a lot of performances, never really taking off. And then at some point, after 10 years have kind of passed since he left home... He gets a phone call from or a letter from his mother saying that his father is in the hospital. And so he quickly drops everything, rushes back home where come to find out his father's just fine. He was just had some, it was a hemorrhoids or something like that. But even still, it's kind of instilled something upon Nago that, you know, the, the aspect of mortality kind of hits him. Like, you know, my father's not going to always be around. So I should probably, you know, come back here, come back home you know, take on the sweet shop and inherit it from the family. Well, his father's got different plans. He's actually, <laughs> this girl named Itsuka showed up at some point. Um, Itsuka, this girl, 10 years old, um, when she was a little bit younger, she came there with her father and her father just left her. Her mother's dead. Her father abandoned her there. And so they've been taking care of Itsuka. Well, his father is kind of like, well, Nagamo's father is like, yeah, this girl's going to be the successor. She's a lot more harder worker. She's very passionate about her work. She's going to be the successor. So it kind of turns this whole thing where, yeah, which one would be the successor? But more so about Itsuka, um, her really trying hard to fit in with this place because she doesn't want to be abandoned again. So she works really hard so that she's not a burden upon the people around her. She takes this seriously. She doesn't think – she actually looks down upon Nagamo because, again, he – she feels like he abandoned the place, but in actuality, like I said, he, he felt like he wasn't supposed to be there. But he's now coming back, and he's trying really hard to, to take on this stuff. So, Your thoughts on Day Aimon? I have a lot of um, basically feelings about this show. I, basically I, I, feelings? Yeah. There's, there's, there's so many things in this show that's just there's packed. tons. The, yeah, the, it's just all packed in here. It's the, the, it's it's like you know those 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 things where you put a whole bunch of little spring things and you open it up, it just all blows up, and you and you don't know what happened. What um, <laughs> the spring things that you put the what? Yeah, you put them in a box, and then you open up the top of the box, and all the springs pop out, and they sure. fly everywhere. Um, anyway, um, I really do love this show. Let, let me say that first off. Um, there's a lot of things in this show of um, I, I I basically have kind of put this as the the sh- the show about healing. It's not a healing show per se. It's just a a show about healing. There's a lot of things in here um, that are kind of unspoken um, things that are that are um, 
for instance, Itsuka and and her relationship with Nagumo. She, you, you get this feeling of, oh well, she doesn't like him because he's he's abandoned the shop. Well, yeah, that's part of it, but that's that. There's more to it than that. He, she's she's lashing out on him as as this kind of um, almost a stand-in for her father, while she still is going out and hunting for her father. She she has these kind of abandonment issues that she's kind of forcing on Nagamo. And there, there's so many different things just involved in that 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 interaction by itself. Um, there's the 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 interaction between Nagamo and and um, his ex girlfriend, and, and their their kind of moments between in the two episodes involved with her, where um, he's he's not sure how he feels about her being uh, moving into his town ta- into his town and. And not necessarily that he has anything necessarily that he hates her about hates about her because technically he was the one who left and yet she was the one who dumped him but didn't he dump her and then the, <laughs> that was a weird scene I I, I know I, I was the same thing same thing <laughs> like, so I it, so, wait, it, so she left him so why is she upset. <laughs> It's it. There's She's so like many- literally. I like Western candies. Peace out. I was like, what? <laughs> what? What just happened? So there's 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 so many so many things involved in that, and 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 I I I love these these mom these character moments that they have. Um, the 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 last episode was an interesting one, and I I I kind of kind of loved that it it, it mixed both acceptance. And at the same time, um, illusion and 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 all of that all involved in in one little quick storyline and how how um, miscommunication and all that stuff can be all wrapped up into these things. So, like I said, there's a lot of um, kind of healing moments involved in this story where you can kind of uh, hash out these these things that you you um, not you you probably th- these personal relationship uh, things that you probably haven't really thought about but seeing things from different different angles and and different perspectives is 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 really uh really cool in this event in this show and i really do like it for that i think this show is basically the embodiment of wholesome slice of life that you're probably not going to find anywhere else this season i i I mean, yeah, you'll you'll get wholesomeness and stuff and things like uh, Misachiko or something like that. But this is literally the one that's like if you're looking for a solid slice of life that has that that warmth in it and those wholesome moments, this is going to be the one. I don't think it's so far for me. It's not gotten melodramatic. It hasn't even gotten high dramatic. It's it's been very very subtle drama beats that kind of push these certain character moments with the characters as they go along. It's very laid back in that regard. And I have been really loving it for that reason. It, it does feel very comforting to watch the show. I, I do like the fact that, like, early on with the first episode, and this is something we came into the show expecting. Like, we were we read the synopsis and we're like, this is the bunny drop. We, we have a new bunny drop show. Let's check this show out. It's going to be about this guy fathering this daughter and taking care of her. That's kind of the sense that we got from it. But what it kind of turns into is, like, early on with the first episode, it has the mother pretty much go, hey, Nagamo, look, Itsuka's father abandoned her. She could really use a father figure. You're about the right age. I mean, you're probably the same age that her father is. You should take care of her. And it felt like that was going to be what it would turn into. This this guy that's, I don't know, he's pretty close to his 30s, but he's taking care of this 10-year-old. And it doesn't really turn into that. Like, it, Nagamu 
rushes in there to help her with the situation. Like at some point, these guys get really angry at her and end up calling in this big, huge order. And so she takes it upon herself to be responsible for it. I'm going to go on the streets and sell this stuff so that we don't lose money. And so she does it. He, he tries to stop her. Like, look, look, stop. You don't have to do this on your own. You know, you're too young for this. We'll handle it kind of thing. And she's like, age has nothing to do with responsibility. I'm going to handle the situation and fix this. And she rushes out there. And again, to help her, he rushes out there and makes himself did up and look like a goofball. Like he's out, out of some commercial and playing his guitar and draws in the crowd and they sell it all together. And it, it turns this moment where he realizes I can't be her father. Like I'm not going to be her father. But I'm going to do everything I can to help her. Like, he, he's basically not – and that was kind of the same impression that we got with Bunny Drop. It's not that he was this girl's father. It was just that he became that parental figure. And I think that's kind of what they're doing with Nagamo because he's technically a dork. Like, this dude is like the he's, – he's kind of those one of those kind of people that – kind of like us. He's an adult, but he still doesn't get rid of his goofy nature. He still wants to have fun. He's still, he's still a dork in true nature. Like I said, he still freaks out every time they sell something. He, they can't have him be at the cash register because he starts to ball his eyes out and scares away the customers because he, he – it's almost like he's – you know, every time he sells one of these things, he's losing a child. Um, he's a dork like that. And that definitely does play into his nature that he's able to do things that most people are kind of more concerned about and, and re- reserved about doing things or hesitant. He just kind of does it. And that kind of turns into a really likable character that you get out of him. Um, and it's because, like I said, she's a really solid character. They she's, picked his voice actor perfectly, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because fantastic too. She's adorable. Um, they definitely, they're definitely capturing her as a 10-year-old and this idea that she's trying to be mature, but she's technically not really mature enough that she thinks that she is. Um, she's still kind of stubborn in a lot of ways. She tries to act a lot older than she actually is. Um, I'm kind of curious at some point they'll get really into the idea of her not – her realizing at some point that she is still a child, that she should, ha- she should still have a childhood. Um, typically with stories like that, that's at some point you're going to have to get into that whole idea that – you know, take a break, you know, enjoy your childhood while you still can, because her focus right now is so much on not being a burden that she's, she's becoming a worker. She's become a 10 year old that's already working full time outside of her schooling. So, um, with overtime. Yeah. She's, she's fantastic though. I think, I think she's adorable. Love her character. Um, I, it's like all the characters. I love them. I like all the, except for her father. It's because father can die in a fire. I'm sure they'll try to explain him. Uh, he's trying to do something, but so far, He's the only bad guy because obviously he abandoned Itsuka. <laughs> but uh, everybody else has been fantastic. Um, I was a little worried getting into – I haven't watched all the way through um, I think the recent episode. I don't remember. I, I do kind of see there might be a problem with – because there's such a big cast, it does feel like every episode it's trying to dive into different characters that we've never met before. Like with this technically with the episode with uh, – I didn't mind it so much because it was Nagamo's girlfriend, which technically we should have gotten into eventually. But – well, actually, I don't think they really mentioned her in the first episode. It was just like, I don't know where. Oh, yeah, by the way, he was in a relationship. And by the way, she's mad. <laughs> but it does feel like every episode, they're just kind of introducing a character and then getting into them. And so I have a little bit of a concern that it's going to be too focused on just introducing characters out of nowhere and then just getting into them. But um, it always kind of interweaves um, some developments of Nagamu and uh, Itsuka at the same time. So I don't, I'm not too worried about it. But that's my only current concern is that... There's too much focus on random characters they're introducing that it doesn't focus on the core story, which is the 
kind of the draw for it. So, but anywho, I'll trust it though because Reiko Yoshida is fantastic. So I kind of trust her to kind of weave the story together really well. But I've heard a lot of positive things about the manga, so I have nothing but positive expectations for the series going forward. So, yeah, great cast, great chemistry. Some great comedic points, by the way. Some of the, some of the comedy points where it really kind of ramps up are a lot of fun. Like this whole point where they they basically <laughs> they basically uh, hypnotize the the father so that he doesn't know what was going on around them because Itsuka disappeared at some point uh, was was really funny. Um, but yeah, we'll see we'll see where it goes from here. But that's uh, Day I Am On. Definitely, if you're looking for a slice of life wholesome show, look no further. Moving on, we have Summertime Render, or Summertime Rendering. This one's streaming on Disney Plus in some regions. <laughs> it's going to be running for 25 episodes. Apparently, this is going to be a full adaptation of the original source material, which is a manga being done by Studio OLM. The genres are mystery, supernatural, and suspense. The director working on the series is Ayumu Watanabe, who did Komi-san Can't Communicate, uh, Fortune Favors, Lady uh, Nikuko, uh, Children of the Sea, and After the Rain. Series composition by Hiroshi Seiko, who did Attack on Titan, Jujutsu Kaisen, Doro Hedoro, Vinland Saga, and Banana Fish. So, pretty, pretty awesome, solid team behind it. And um, I guess to start this one off, I want to say soft spoilers. Because I think this is one of those shows where the first episode's pretty good. It, it, it's really cool to go into the first episode completely blind. If you can check out the first episode and get that first kind of big hook into you... It's it's kind of cool to go in fresh, but so I'm gonna give soft spoilers for the first episode because I can't really explain my thoughts on summertime rendering without really spoiling the first episode. So keep that in mind as I do this. Essentially, it follows Shinpei, who Shinpei is returning back home after being away from his hometown for a while. Uh, he's going back home because there's a funeral being held for Ushio, who's technically is like almost like a sister because apparently when his parents died ten years ago. Uh, Ushio and her family brought him in and kind of took care of him. So, again, kind of like a brother, uh, a brother-sister kind of thing there. But uh, essentially, Ushio's uh, passed away. They're having a funeral for her. There's claims that she basically drowned trying to help this girl who was out in the ocean and kind of trapped. And she rescued the girl, but at the same time ended up drowning. So they're having a funeral for her. Shinpei goes on a boat all the way back to this island where his hometown is, comes there for the funeral... Uh, meets up with Ushio's sister, Mio. The two of them go up and they go to the funeral. Come to find out, at the funeral, as he's talking to one of his friends, So, uh, Shinpei discovers that something is a little bit curious about Ushio's death. Because they performed an autopsy on her. And what they end up finding was that she was she had strangle marks. Like, she was strangled. She did not drown. And so that brings up a big question mark of, did Ushio drown? Or did somebody actually kill Ushio? Well, following this... As time goes on, they end up finding out that this one family that was at the funeral, the the family of the girl that Ushio saved, they go missing. And as Mio is kind of panicking a little bit, uh, Mio talks to Shinpei about the fact that there's these doppelgangers that they kind of heard about. That um, this girl that Ushio saved had seen a doppelganger. And she heard about this mystery about this shadow that apparently is this myth about the area. And they're confronted by this guy named Nezu, who is a hunter, traveling hunter. And they start talking about this mystery about this village's history. Apparently, back during the World War... Before World War II, there was this sort of myth about these doppelgangers, these shadows 
that if you see a shadow of yourself in this area, that shadow will kill you, and they will kill your entire family. Well, Mio's panicking because Ushio, apparently, before she died, she was with Ushio near the beach, and they seen Ushio's doppelganger. And so she believes that this doppelganger killed Ushio. And realizing that this girl that Ushio saved also said that she's seen somebody that looked like her up in the mountains. So it's starting to give credit to this idea that this shadow of this myth of this area actually exists. Well, kind of being a little bit afraid about this, they decide because of this, this part of this myth is that if you go to this one shrine, you can cleanse yourself of this shadow. So if you think you've seen it, you can kind of cleanse yourself and save yourself. They go to the shrine and when they get there, they end up seeing somebody. And when they go to investigate, um, yeah, a doppelganger of Mio shows up and kills everybody. <laughs> so it kind of gives credit to this whole idea that this mystery, this this myth, this little urban legend of this area technically exists. So so the twist in the first episode, like I was mentioning, the, the soft spoiler is that, well, Shinpei, when he gets shot and dies, he wakes up back on the boat, coming to the island. <laughs> so... Uh, kind of like a re-zero twist in the idea that every time Shinpei seems to die, it seems like he resets back to a checkpoint, which he's on this boat coming to the island. At first, he kind of feels like it's deja vu, but after he kind of realizes that this isn't a dream, that he is kind of replaying this whole scenario, he obviously has to figure out what the heck is going on. And obviously, the biggest issue that's going to be difficult for him to figure this out is that who do you trust when everybody could possibly be a doppelganger? So, yeah. Summertime rendering. I, I think this is, like, the biggest... Um, I I love this show. Like, everything about it. Everything about this show is perfect. I love it so much. Um, my biggest issue that I have with this show is that it's being, obviously... it. I'm not saying... I'm not, I don't want to say it's being overlooked by everybody. It's just that it's not available to anybody. So... It's going to be overlooked. I I've almost feel like this is going to be the... Disney Plus, I think, is going to be kind of the same scenario that we had with Amazon Prime and Amazon Strike. Is this, uh, Anime Strike. This idea of these really fantastic shows that just get lost. Like, nobody watches them because it's too hard. It Because nobody wants to go out of their way to pirate it. Like, nobody wants to go download it. Nobody wants to go to some questionable website to watch the show. And they would watch it on Disney plus, but it's not even available. Like it's available in certain regions. It's obviously available in Japan because that's the reason they picked up the license for it so that they can get into the Japanese market. But it's really upsetting to me that this show is going to get lost in obscurity because nobody's going to want to go out of the way to watch it. And I think when it's finally available, it's probably going to be a full dump show or maybe like half, uh, like a single core dump on, on Disney plus. And I think that's going to hurt it because my biggest thing that I enjoy so much about this show right now is because it's one of those shows that you love to watch on a weekly basis. Because you watch the episode, you get like crazy theorizing on what's going to happen next, and then you have a whole week to really stew on it, and then the next week it comes around, you finally watch the next episode, and it's like you start to see, oh yeah, that did happen, or my theories on this was correct, or oh, there's this new mystery they added to it. They answer some questions, they create new questions, and then you have like a whole week to really think on it again. I don't... I think the, the that that element is lost if you, in the end, are probably just going to end up binging the whole thing. Like, when, if it's a full dump and you just binge the whole thing, you kind of lose that episode-by-episode episode mystery. That was technically in the original manga. The original manga, releasing chapter-by-chapter, chapter, and I'm betting everybody had a lot of fun really speculating on what was going to happen next. 
I don't think this is going to be as fun of a show if it's a full dump binge watch because I think the mystery is what makes it so much fun because that is literally what I love so much about the show. I think this show does mystery perfect because it creates the questions. It gives you hints. It, it has these moments where characters kind of notice something like they're at the funeral. For example, they're at the funeral and a flash happens in the funeral. Obviously that's not, that's something you don't do at a funeral. You don't take pictures at an open casket funeral. It's just, it's inappropriate. And so everybody's no- noting, like, who did that? Who's taking pictures? Don't take pictures in here. But nobody, they, we don't see who took the picture. And so you question, like, what was that? Like, why did they point that out? There's obviously something important about that. Skip forward. You have another moment where somebody, like, this one character, as somebody leaves the room, they click their tongue. And you're like, wait, why did this character just click their tongue? Obviously, they were upset about, about how people respond to this. So I start taking mental notes. Like as I'm watching these episodes, I'm taking all these notes about these little subtle things they point out. And then sure enough, in the later episode or next episode, they'll show you why that was important. And so you 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 almost feel rewarded because you took note of that and it makes sense now. Now they've revealed this. They answered this question, but then they'll create like five more questions. And it's 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 mystery perfect uh, perfection. I've never, I don't think it's been a long time since I've watched a show that's so good at creating mystery. And I know that like when this show was first airing, I think the first episode aired, obviously a lot of people were like, this is ReZero. And I'm like, ReZero is a good, a good way of explaining the show because of the reset aspect. But it's definitely not ReZero. I think ReZero is a good way of explaining it to the new anime fans because most people know what ReZero is. So it's really easy to say, yeah, it's basically ReZero. My better example would be Higurashi when they cry. I think this is pretty pretty much like Higurashi when they cry because Higurashi when they cry has a reset aspect. It has a kind of a secluded village aspect. They have a urban legend aspect to it. Um, a lot of that stuff's in it. Plus, yes, Higurashi has quite a bit of mystery in there as well. ReZero does as well, but ReZero is more about the world itself and the clans and the sins and all that kind of stuff they're getting into are the witches. This one's more grounded, but with urban legend twist to it. And I'm just eating it up. I love the characters. I think Shinpei so far has been pretty solid. He's he's kind of a thinker. His whole thing is I like to take he likes to take a step back and really examine what he's doing and what he just did. And so I think that's gonna be his unique aspect. Um Mio is pretty cute. Tangirl, best girl, obviously. There's been plenty of fun screenshots coming out for her. Um she's obviously really into Shinpei. Um but she's obviously in the situation very terrified. It, it, it hasn't really got, gotten too much into many of the other side characters. A lot of it's really been uh, Shinpei trying to get his his footing on the situation and figure out what he's going to do. Um, but it's been fantastic so far. Um, and they just had out of nowhere Riyakajimia popped up in the show, and I'm like, cool, <laughs> cool Riyakajimia. Um, but I'm loving it so far. And they and they're they're having these points in which it kind of it sets um, what would you call it like. Points of absolutes. Like, these are points that he has to do every time if he does reset again that he needs to make sure he does because they're, like, pinnacle points of it. And I like how it's playing that out. I, I'm i really curious how it's going to go on for 25 episodes, but like I said, it's supposed to be a full adaptation, so I have a lot of high expectations for it. I hope it doesn't drop off, but so far, every episode of this show has been a perfection. Um, this is easily, so far, becoming my anime of the year. Um, just by these first few episodes. So I hope it, 
I hope it keeps solid. And I'm again, I'm really sad that it's not available on Disney Plus really anywhere. I hope that they correct that because this is a show that I don't think people should miss. It's it's phenom- phenomenal. So yeah, cannot wait for more. Really great summertime rendering. Try to check that out if you can. <laughs> I hate I hate it because it's it's literally what I don't want to do. I've never been a fan of this idea of trying to encourage people to um, pirate or try to find other sources because it's, it, it, I don't really like that. I, not, we've never really grandstanded. We've never been on a high horse and said that we'll never do it or anything like that. Um, what bothers me so much about it is that it's one, like I said before, it's, I don't think this is going to be a binging show. This is a show that's going to be so much more fun for people to watch episode by episode and talk about it. I think that if it ever does like a full release dump on Disney plus, I'd probably like to get our discord together and just do like watch an episode each day, like do a watch along because like I said, I think a lot of the fun is in discussing each episode and I, and my, from what I do, I'm too afraid to not watch this now because I'm, I just know somebody's going to spoil something. Now, granted the manga readers haven't spoiled anything yet, so that's good, but I can see this one being, this, this being one of those ones where somebody's going to throw a screenshot up and it's like, oh crap, thanks for spoiling it. But, um, I have so many crazy theories on the show already. So if you're watching it, definitely check out my videos. Uh, but yeah, that's summertime rendering. I'm going to stop <laughs> moving on. Demon girl next door. Uh, season two, Machikado Mazoku to Chome. This one's streaming on high dive. Uh, being done by studio, being done by studio JC staff. The source is a manga genres are comedy and slice of life. And for those that have not watched demon girl next door, shame on you. Shamiko is great. You should be watching this show. It follows Shamiko, who at some point she pretty much awakens as being a demon girl. Uh, one time she finally, I guess, matures to becoming one, and her mother reveals to her the big secret that her family is a bloodline of demons. And, and daddy's over there. Huh? <laughs> and daddy's over there. Oh, they didn't reveal that until like the end of the first <laughs> season. Um, spoilers for the end of the first season, by the way. No, I'm joking. Uh, but anyways... She revealed that she's a demon girl and that a long time ago they were at war with the magical girls. And then at some point the magical girl at that time basically put this curse upon them, making them pretty much in permanent poverty. <laughs> so every time that they get like a check or something, they lose a lot of money from it. It's like it's like a, it's like a tax that always prevents them from ever having money. So they've always been living, scraping by. And now that Shamiko is awakened as being this demon girl, she decides I'm going to take down the magical girl. And have her remove the curse so that our family can finally live normal. <laughs> and so the problem that comes from that is that the magical girl is not only super powerful, but she's like super nice. So Shamiko has a lot of problems with trying to defeat this magical girl. Um, not And kind of funny because the magical girl is so nice that she decides to try to actually start to train Shamiko. <laughs> so the magical girl being so nice trains Shamiko to help her get stronger to defeat her. It, it's just, it's absolutely bonkers like that so yeah and getting into the second season we're trying to get we're at the very end of the first season we really start to open up the story which is very surprising to me like the the first season was like super cute shamiko's cute goofy fun watch this these two just be adorable together um a lot of great comedy and then like this at the end of the first season it's like oh yeah by the way we actually have a story here and it was like whoa wait (laughs) i didn't think this this writer thought this out this much but no they actually had a story that they were kind of throwing in here talking about uh, Momo's sister and the origins of Shamiko's curse. Yes, the identity of Shamiko's dad. <laughs> but then getting in the second season where, yes, we did some goofy introdu- reintroductions to the characters, but then now we're actually starting to go, okay, well, let's try to find 
Momo's sister, try to find out the truth behind everything that happened many years prior to Shamiko and everything. So that's been really interesting. So your thoughts on the season so far? So far, it's doing really good. I I, I love the um, the the kind of increasing the bonds between the 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 main characters, uh, especially Shamiko and and Momo and and like and Andrew was talking about. Don't forget Mikan. Mikan as well. I, I absolutely <laughs> she likes everything salt. She wants every, everything. She wants everything to have lemon in it. Um, I I I really do love um the interactions of Shamiko trying to. Um, they, they take, for instance, the, the diary of, uh, Momo reading through the diary and finding this kind of, uh, note that, um, Shamiko's greatest ambition is to make, uh, Momo smile. And Momo is trying to help Shamiko to, um, fix, fix her quote unquote curse and, and ultimately find her sister while at the same time, um, bringing back Shamiko's papa, um, it, there's there's so many things that are going on in this show that I just truly love that are just truly wholesome and yet kind of from this weird perspective of the kind of demon lord slash uh, magical girl uh, perspective of um, that they really don't hate each other as much as the world kind of puts them into hating each other so much. Yeah, and that, and that kind of spills into the whole backstory of a lot of stuff is that whole aspect of that expectation between the two of them being warring sides, but there was actually like something that kind of shifted in the perspective of a lot of people. And yes, technically Shamiko is trying to jump back into that. And technically Shamiko's sister is always trying to help her have some super diabolical plot. Like her sister always looks up to Shamiko as, yeah, you should get stronger and then you can employ this and then you're going to be a great demon Lord or something like that. It's always, it's always really funny. Um, but yeah, just the, this show has always been about this, this great chemistry between the characters that it's always so wholesome and just adorable, but at the same time, hilarious and, and just like these great shenanigan moments. And it's, it was always kind of put together with, especially with the first season and additionally in the second season with great adaptation by JC staff, which is these great, you know, uh, voicing cues and sound effects and stuff in the background. Um, they just pulled off so well. And Shamiko's say you, Momo's say you, they're just, they're just, everything comes together to be just this, perfect chemistry of everything uh pulling it all together i will say the only thing that i've been a little bit miffed by with the second season is that the pacing is just breakneck speed out of nowhere i i I went back and checked the first season and i don't feel it there but with the second season it feels like they're really they they kind of chilled out a little bit i think like in the second season the second episode and stuff but overall it feels like the pacing is going a lot faster the skits are going Bam, bam, bam! They're just jumping from skit to skit very quickly, and I don't know that I. It's not. It's not that it's ruining it, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like the first season. It doesn't feel I, like it's letting the jokes really settle. I, I, I can agree. It, it doesn't. I, I don't know that I would say it's breaking it, but it definitely feels disjointed. Like, like it. The, the, the skits were a lot more smoother between skits in the first season, whereas in this one, it feels like we're going. Boom, boom. It and, feels and like they went from, like, adapting a full manga to f- adapting a four-comma manga. Yeah. Like, it feels like it sh- it shifts the scenes so quickly. Whereas the first one, I think they interweave them a lot better to where it transitioned from scene to scene. This one, it feels like just scene change. We're doing this now. Again, it's not ruining it because it's, no. still, it's still fantastic. Like, the show is still fantastic. But it doesn't feel as solid as the first season felt um, how they managed to put it together. And again, I don't know if that's just they're trying to get a couple jokes out of the way so they can get back into the main story. 
Um, we'll have to wait and see, but it's still really good in the end, though. Yeah. I mean, the jokes are still the great jokes. It's just it, you you notice a difference in the in the way it's shifting is is mm-hmm. the best way to explain it from my my perspective. Like I said, the only thing that it ruins is when it it doesn't let the joke set for a second. Like it doesn't let mm-hmm. you it doesn't let you react to the joke long enough. It just kind of oh, it cut, cut scene next scene. <laughs> but uh, yeah, some really adorable moments with Shamiko this season too. Like the the whole thing where she was trying to make Momo laugh or smile, so she comes in there with a big gigantic fork, and then she just gets embarrassed because she just did something really goofy. It was it's so good. I love it so. Yeah, it's still fantastic. If you have not watched Shami- uh, Shamiko, if you have not watched the Shamiko next door, <laughs> please go watch it. <laughs> Demon Girl next door, the door is is just it's absolutely priceless. It's it's definitely one of those shows that um, it doesn't get enough tension, and I still love it to death, even even still. So it's good though because like with the season coming up, I've seen a lot of people that were pretty jazzed about it coming back, and I'm like, oh yay. <laughs> We have lots of people in our community that's really excited for it. I'm glad I have other people to talk about it with. Um, yeah. So we just skip this one. I, I think it's pretty common. I think most people are on the same page with this. The Rising of the Shield Hero, second season. Tate no Yusha no Nari Agari, season two. This is streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 13 episodes. Uh, I think it's running for 13 episodes. I think that's the only information. But yeah, this one, who doesn't know what the story's about? It's basically a guy gets transported into a fantasy world along with some other warriors. They're all like warriors of different types. Like there's a spear warrior and bow warrior. And he becomes in as the shield hero, which is kind of seen as by everybody as being useless. At some point, he ends up kind of being framed for doing something inappropriate to a princess. And since it's a matriarchy, he ends up getting kind of branded as a bad guy and so he kind of accepts his fate and becomes the bad guy everybody thinks he is and just goes on his own to do his own thing get strong by himself eventually enlist the help of this girl that's at this kind of slave trading place named Raftalia and brings her in and trains her up and she gets stronger and bonds with them they eventually get into these waves that are attacking this world uh, the heroes when they're brought to this world have to fight off these waves of monsters a certain amount of waves before they're able to return back home. So they take on most of these waves and eventually they get into some other things involved with the waves at the end of the first season. And then it kind of rolls into the second season where the waves stop and this big massive turtle appears and the whole idea behind the turtle and what the turtle is supposed to be used for and why it's not supposed to be used right now and how now Fumi and his team can take it down because as usual, the other warriors, uh, other heroes of this world that were brought over are useless, as always. So, <laughs> yeah. Your thoughts on Season 2 and the CGI turtle? I've generally been fine with it. Um, I uh, kind of wish the turtle thing would hurry up, but <laughs> other than that, I've been fine with it. And it, unfortunately, I haven't watched the last episode, so... Um, Technically, I guess the turtle thing is over, but they kind of implied that, that wasn't the real turtle. So I guess the turtle thing is still going. So hurry up with the turtle. Um, but other than that, it's been fine. I, I, it hasn't really done anything so far this season yet. So <laughs> just the turtle. <laughs> yeah, I think the putting aside the cgi turtle i don't really care I, I know a lot of people were upset about the cgi turtle i i was expecting it to be cgi um they uh, honestly doesn't bother me that much i i think my problem that i've had with this season is it it feels extremely rushed um it just seems like everything's kind of being 
glossed over and it it's one of those things where you watch it you feel like it's being rushed if it feels like you're skipping things it feels like context is being lost as it goes along it feels like characters are basically teleporting around (laughs) like for example they have this point where he tells Rishia, this girl that was part of the bow team um who's now with his team he's helping her train up um Rishia, he tells her go with the queen to the big imperial library or whatever find as much information you can about this turtle to find a way to, to defeat it and so they go off and they have this little montage where it shows her over there and she's at the kingdom and she's looking at the library of the books and then literally scene change and she's back with them again and this is supposed to be in a three-day span and somehow she managed to go down there check the books and come back within three days and it's like yeah i guess in modern times but in that setting i mean unless she has flight that i'm not aware of i don't think she can travel that quickly but sure okay she's back here now um it feels it felt like this is just rushing through a whole bunch of content and it's rushing through a lot of explanations and then you get confirmation from a lot of people yes based on the light novel readers this is rushing through a lot of content and skipping a lot of stuff and it's like okay it kind of confirms how i feel which is that I'm not getting anything out of this because it's trying to rush the story so fast that I'm I'm not getting character moments. I'm not I, even the introduction of uh, well, Rishia was technically around the first season. She was abandoned by the bow hero because she was not strong enough. Um, she got a little bit of development with the first couple episodes, but even with like Ost, who is this um, this familiar from the from the uh, turtle, is like. I, I'm getting a little bit of quirkiness from her, which I kind of like. This idea that she was introduced as this person that's this familiar that's trying to fit in with humans to trick them and get information. And now she's trying to help them stop this because it's not supposed to be happening like this. And you get this little goofy quirkiness about her where she's kind of thrown off because she thinks she has the great information. But everybody's like, yeah, we figured that out already. But overall, I'm not really getting too much out of her. I feel like everything – we're not really getting much – character moments from the characters and a lot of the action is just kind of a big hordes of cgi bats or a big turtle thing and the usual uh fanfare nothing really fun or entertaining or interesting that's going on so far and like i said before i think that's because it's not it's just rushing way through much uh, rushing too much through this content so and that and that could be very well why why i i want to see the turtle thing over already is because i'm not getting out anything out of the turtle thing it's yeah and that, that might be the frustrating thing that that might be just what it is 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 that all of the most important stuff is in the side things like andrew was talking about that should have been happening maybe we would get a lit, little bit more out of Rishia if we went to the the kingdom and and explored the the books with her and, and and stuff like that. So, yeah, maybe it's trying to push those character moments into places it shouldn't be. I I think it's just really one of those things where I honestly and I, some, I've been something very important must be happening after the turtle thing, though. I hope. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the war they ran back into the the team of adventurers that were from the first season or not. Um, I've been pretty clear to most people that Shield Hero kind of dropped off for me after the first um the first core. Like, when it started getting into the whole, like, church guy coming after Naofumi and the big fight they had in the crater and all that kind of stuff, I, it kind of dropped off for me. But it was still enjoyable. Uh, but this this arc so far has just been blah. And I think I've – I think it's just one. Sometimes I talk about so many shows with so many people. <laughs> like, you're talking, like, 30, 40 shows with, with so many people. 
I think this is the one where people were saying that this was supposed to be like um, one of its weakest stories is the turtle thing, and that it's like they may be trying to get past that quickly so they can get in the next part. I don't even know if they're going to be able to get into something after this. Um, honestly, they've already kind of uncovered the, I guess, the mechanics of the turtle and why it's there and what could be happening. So I can kind of see where that could be interesting. How they're going to interweave the adventurers from the first season into that is a big question mark. And maybe that'll get interesting from that point on. But so far, just with the, the you know, the first three or four episodes, it's just, it has not been working. It is, it is, and I, and I do want it to work. I do want it to do some really good stuff. And I hope it does. Um, reintroducing a lot of the concepts that were kind of very interesting from the first season, like the fact that, um, uh, I forget what her name is, uh, Fitoria is this like this great being that's literally told now Fumi, if you do not work with the heroes, I'm going to kill you all. So like we can get new heroes. Like we're just going to, we're just going to wipe you off the plate and just get a new spoonful because you're obviously not going to work for what we're going to face. And if you're not going to work for what we're going to face, you're going to lose and we can't lose. Um, those kind of concepts have always been interesting to me. The, the unreliableness of the other warriors that I'm hoping we eventually get into where we can finally start making them purposeful to the story is stuff that i'm still into it's just i don't know that i care like i almost wish that they would skip the stupid arc <laughs> it's it's one of those things that the world it, it 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 is frustrating if this is because the turtle does seem to have a very fascinating um mechanic the the the, yeah. the cool thing about this world, it's basically a stopgap yeah the turtle it, is a stopgap if the warriors fail it, it it's one of those things that the world is in itself is a fascinating part of the story. I the, I I I like I generally have liked a lot of the characters and for a lot lack of a better way of putting it the 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 characters are great and the story is great. I don't know it, it, it maybe it is just simply because they felt that this part was weak and they couldn't shove it or they couldn't move it along fast enough because it is a necessary evil to the story yet they know that if they if they take it out they won't be able to have some kind of a mechanic like Andrew was talking about this stopgap it in itself is a cool concept. I wish they would dig into it, and maybe they did in that whole library part. But we won't never know unless we read the books, I guess. Yeah, I think that's that's the issue that I, they probably faced if they did want to rush through this whole thing is they still have to imply why the adventurers there. Like the moment that the adventurers showed up, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is something they can't skip because obviously their involvement is important. Um, but again, it could be this the aspect that somebody's trying to trigger this whole thing because he, they they know the heroes aren't going to work together. Like, they've experienced that these heroes are never going to work together. So, obviously, let's just skip to the end. Because if the, Scott, if, if the turtle is essentially the way of fixing – basically saving the world if the heroes can't do their job, and they know the heroes are never going to do their job and work together, why not just trigger the end point? Like, this is not going to work. Trigger the end point. Now, my argument to that is that – you you still let them try and then do the, the 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 trigger point, but again, if the adventures are involved now, I can easily see them just wanting to ruin the whole thing. Now, the only the, the theory that I have with the adventurers is that why would they use a turtle? Because unless they're just trying to just 
end all life and they figure that's the easiest way to do it. I guess that works, but we'll, we'll see if, if we ever get into them. But anyways, I want it to work. It's kind of not working. I love seeing Raftili again. I, you know, enjoy seeing Fido again, all that kind of stuff. But oof, it's just, I want it to work because I think, I think the Sh- Rising of Shield Heroes always had some really interesting concept behind it. And I think it's a really great, unique take on the Isekai genre not just the revenge isekai or the the bad guy, uh, uh, you know, the the outcast one. Because I think we've gotten so many here recently that it's not it's not as fresh anymore. But I do want it to work in the end. Honestly, I really do. So we'll see though. Rising Shield Hero season two. We'll see where it goes. Science fell in love, so I tried to prove it season two. Or Reki ga koi ni ochita. No de shome shite mita heart. So I'm streaming on Crunchyroll one for twelve episodes by Zero G, based on a manga. Um, basically, follows a bunch of scientists who are falling in love and trying to figure out if they can prove it. How's the second season? Oh, we've gotten into kind of um, moved past. Um, well, you just picked up where we left off in the last step. The last they fell in love and they tried to say. <laughs> I literally had like three three words to my synopsis, and Chris is like, "Yes, it picks up right where that left off." Um, in the <laughs> good one, I would like that, Chris. That I actually, I, I, strangely enough, going into the second season, I, I don't know why, I, I found it um a lot more enjoyable to go back to after having sat on it for a while and and. And kind of just came back into it, and it felt a lot more refreshing than it did last time. Last time it felt very stale in its delivery of it basically taking a a concept. Well, it it will it in a lot of cases it's more tropes and stuff like that. Sometimes it will actually be things that are in real life. These are things that happen, like the and wall they, slam and checking yeah. heart rates and stuff. Well, that that's more tropes and stuff like that. And but it, at any rate, they they take a lot of those things and they just kind of play with them and then t- explain some kind of sciency stuff a- after it. And the science thing was kind of my biggest beef with this show. Um, this season, it doesn't feel like it's as imposing as it was. It still does get very, uh, drawn out when they, when they say just, just nerdy. Yeah. It goes, goes way too deep into some of this stuff. Um, but for lack, for, for all of my beefs with that, it is still kind of its thing. Um, for the most part, I, I went into this season and I, I have felt a lot more kind of drawn into it and just kind of enjoying it for what it is. And I have started to really enjoy it. Maybe it is, you know, the Stockholm, uh, Stockholm syndrome. syndrome at some point. So um, yeah, it's, like he's, <laughs> it's like those people that watch a shonen for so long, they start to actually think it's good right now. I'm joking. Um, I, I have started to find myself liking these characters and I, I have started to, a lot of these character characters have started to grow, grow on me. Um, I do especially love Enna and Kosuke. I absolutely adore those two. That one is kind of this goofy gamer and he's, he plays gotcha games and he just cannot accept the fact that he likes Enna and Enna is, just constantly referring to him as the dog. And I, I, there is a scene that I was kind of wanting to show you and it, the, it translated it and it literally did not name him 
and in the in the actual she meant she refers to him as Wanchan. <laughs> and it's like you did not. <laughs> but at any rate, I have started to really just enjoy myself watching this show and like I said, if if be aware that there is a lot of sciencey junk in here and it and does explain people kind of, well unless it changes from the first season. The first season a lot of it was like they would present, yes, a trope or something like a wall slam and how that changes their heart rate and stuff. And they'll they'll take that basic idea of what it is to be in love or experience loving type of stuff and then try to scientifically explain it. And they'll often have these segments where they'll just kind of transfer to this person at this big whiteboard and they'll start to get into graphs and <laughs> and statistics and heart rates and show how it's influxing back and forth and start to throw a lot of this kind of, again, analytics into the mix that really tried to describe how things shift up and down in values and how that can be explained as being love or something. It just it gets really geeky with that stuff. So, I mean, if you love graphs and and charts and geeky stuff i think it really does well but for me it kind of just okay way way too much <laughs> way too much in uh in in this season they've added uh you you added them to the to the list as uh chris and suey um those those two were more stuck on mouths um just to give you an example of yes they are still doing this stuff um they they actually got into this kind of um effectively a debate between um who is more happier um the people who are freshly in love i.e. shinya and ayame and or a couple who's been been together for a very very long time i.e. chris and siui um it, and and it, they would of course check their 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 saliva and and the the chemical compounds that are in the saliva to process uh, they processed it and and they would find out if it had uh, oxytocin oxytocin or whatever and you get the idea a whole bunch of chemicals in your in your saliva and happiness uh, chemicals versus stress. Uh, hormones and all that stuff that's that's the stuff that this show does now like i said name it stockholm syndrome if you want but some of this this some of the jokes are actually starting to land um i maybe they are getting better at the writing at this point they're getting a lot more solid it it just doesn't feel like this the science is as imposing as it used to be and yes it is still there but it's not as as imposing okay Science fell in love, so I tried to prove it. Season two. Heart. Our last one we have is Kaginato returning for season two. Um, it, it, not that's a that's a couple characters. It's just a few characters. <laughs> Man, this guy was a star of only, my life. Only four five four or five shows worth of characters. Sonahara. I was doing a Twitch live stream of Klana playthrough and Sonahara just Sonahara, dude. Dude. Anyways, uh, for those that don't know, Kaganado is essentially a crossover series, uh, chibi-sized characters all being thrown into one same world, and yes, those different characters from different worlds are the the worlds of key properties, so you have Clonod, Air TV, Canon, Little Busters, and even Angel Beats, spoiler. Um, they're all being brought to the same world, and they're all just kind of existing, and they just kind of play off a lot of tropes and jokes surrounding each character, pairing them up for similarities based on the different visual novels they're from. 
Um, so if you're a fan of any of these key visual novels, it's definitely a fun watch. I We kind of mentioned it with our review and discussion about the first season. I would keep in mind that if you have not really at least watched the anime for these particular shows or these, these visual novels, you might want to avoid it just because technically with the first episode, it spoils the ending to pretty much all of them. <laughs> so... Make sure to watch Clanod, Air TV, Canon, Little Busters, um, Angel Beats before you jump into the series. But it's a lot of fun. Um, it just really feels like it was the case with the first season. And I feel like it the same with the second season is they just love making fun of their own stuff. They love making fun of the fans. They love making fun of the ideas that people come up with after watching the series or reading the visual novels. A lot of the 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 conversations that the fandom has around certain characters, they love poking up that stuff. Uh, they even had finally with the was it the second episode of the second season they finally had one character stand up and say, "My gosh, what is with this key property and everybody dying?" <laughs> yeah, I, it's loved like it. finally, I loved it so finally. much. I I, I, and I I was I was afraid that you were gonna know that uh, I, uh, that Kaganoto had popped up and I'm busting up laughing the entire episode. Just the references to. Why? Why are we all in this situation? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I feel you there. That is hilarious. It was, it was too dorky. I, um, they even have a Koto. It's like he even saved me, and I, st- I don't want to say it. It's, it's so bad. It's like, like I said, they, they, they totally just poke fun at themselves, and I just. It, it does make you wonder if, like, if it, if it's a different writer that's roasting the hell out of them, they let them roast the heck out of them, or if they're actually writing their own roast or something. Because it's like I said, they're it's it, they're picking at scabs that hurt. Like, how many times I hear Mizuzu say "goal," it's like stop, just stop. Like the first season was torturing me with that. Like that's like a scene that just absolutely wrecked me. It was it was easily one of the scenes that the first scene that I've ever watched in an anime that literally had me bawling my eyes out. And it's like, now they're making fun of it. It's like, stop it. How dare you? But it's like so funny. Um, it's so great. Everybody's obsession with how beautiful Ricky is and how much everybody wants to sleep with them. It's just everything about this show is still great. Um, even in the second season. So I, I hope that they keep having, I guess they have plenty of material to work with. Let's be honest. I mean, they have a ton of properties, ton of feedback, ton of fandoms, um, they have plenty of th- stuff to work with, and I just cannot wait for more of it. It's just it's too good. So. I'm surprised they haven't made a joke about the eyes yet. Did they do that, and I I missed it? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, the eye sizes and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah. I'd be curious if they ever made fun of the, the original character designs and stuff for some of them, just to make fun of their own art. I mean, like I said, they're willing to. Uh, they, they, nothing else has been held back. Why wouldn't they? I, I'm surprised they haven't Unless they, they, they don't want to hurt the feelings of the character <laughs> artists. I mean, no, 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 you never know. There might there may be some stuff that's off limits, but we'll have to see. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Highly recommend it if you have not watched it already, and you do love key stuff like we do. So yeah, that's Kaganato season two. High recommendation. And that's it. That's that's all of it. That's all we're doing for spring twenty twenty two. Hopefully we can keep up with all these shows to do our reviews at the end of the season. <laughs> Just a lot of stuff to keep up on. I'm already it dropping off on some of it, but honestly a lot of it I'm trying to now that I'm caught up and we got our first impressions done, all my videos done, I, I'm trying to get back into some other things like Mushoko Tensei read through. So if you are a fan of Mushoko Tensei, definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'll be doing some video impressions on the book itself, uh, the series, the novels. So yeah, as always, definitely appreciate everybody's support of our channels, our podcasts, our our YouTube channel, all the support through Patreon. 
tips that everybody sends us, all that kind of stuff. We definitely appreciate you guys' support. If you have not already and you do want to support us, we do have links inside of the descriptions for our podcast as well as the YouTube channel for the video for this particular podcast episode. But yeah, hope you guys enjoyed. I think we'll be jumping right into some news. We'll get together some cool topic stuff for additional weeks for our podcast and keep things flowing as usual. So hope you guys will join us for that. We thank you all for listening. We hope you all enjoyed, and y'all take care. Oh,